He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. Hey, what's up? It's Shane with Dynamis Media, and I'm joined here with Stefan. That's me. And you're tuning into The Dark Side Drive-In, which is our horror-themed podcast where we cover movies from the 80s, sometimes 70s, and sometimes 90s. And I think the 90s is going to be a little more relevant here um, as we uh, progress through the year. Um, so I, I know we've grabbed some new listeners, and thank you for um, tuning in. Uh, you can find us always on Twitter, and then now we have Instagram. So I finally broke down, and Stefan kind of was like, "Hey, uh, you need to be relevant, old man." So we got to get in the gram. So we went sliding into our DMs, sliding our DMs. Uh, surprisingly, that has happened, not in a weird way. Uh, people like promoting <laughs> their things, which are some of them are very cool. So thank you. Um, so if you're doing something fun or interesting, uh, let me know. I would definitely will check it out. Um, yeah. So if you're doing something that isn't fun or interesting. Do not tell him. Yeah. I mean, you can still tell me and I'll still be very <laughs> nice to you, but I won't look at it. Um, but so you can find us, uh, where our, uh, Instagram, is it a handle? Like, what is that? I don't know. It's the dark side driving shocker. Um, so I made a couple reels. That was new. That was a thing that I had to learn. Uh, so yeah, I think it's pretty fun. And then we have a Instagram for our main channel, which is Dynamis Media, where we are kind of like housing a bunch of other different projects we're doing. Um, you know, Nick is still, uh, or sorry, AGB is still streaming. And uh, you can find him at uh, twitch.tv slash angry underscore green underscore balon. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So that's kind of like our, what's been new with us. Um, Stefan, you got anything, uh, new with you? What's been going on? I did beat the absolute crap out of you in mortal Kombat a couple of days. Ah, uh, you sure did. Did you want to talk about that? Not really. <laughs> Learn how to humble a man. So well, it, it was fun. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very into fighting games and a couple of us on the channel are uh, so is Stefan. We've always kind of bonded over that. And uh, I've really let my uh, skills slip in my old age. And Stefan came over. We actually watched Life Force together. And uh, I set up my PC um, so we could play a couple fighting games. And he absolutely proceeded to just trounce me at uh, Mortal Kombat 1, which is a great game. Um, you did get me with smoke, though. You did. You did get me a smoke. Yeah, I was like one in ten. So like, don't you know? I I, pre mm -hmm. I appreciate the trying to pump me up here, but um, I think the one that humbled you the most was Baraka. You really thought you had me with Baraka. I really did, man. So, but uh, yeah, if you haven't if you haven't checked out Mortal Kombat, I highly recommend it. Uh, very comical how gory the game is. I think they did a great job. So, um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I've been following Mortal Kombat since like, oh man, how's long? Has that been 30 years? 91, it's right? Been, uh, yeah, I think uh, 92 was when it came out in arcades, I think. And then yeah. 93, I think, was the home release on like Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo for the first one. Yep. And I've definitely been playing since then. So, so uh, 
any good movies? Uh, I I know um, you have some good reviews coming down the pipeline, but uh, eventually, eventually when we get there. Yeah, I'll finish those up sooner or later. I'm sure um, you will. Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna do it. So, um, Life Force. So we're, we'll get into it, but I just want to. I think we had some stuff we wanted to kind of get into before we. Um, oh, you want to? Yeah, I get it. Is yeah, that what yeah. you're trying to cue yes. me up for before I yep. like, told you about how I beat you in Mortal Kombat? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I did not expect the like. I I first saw this movie when I was in grad school. So this like weird, like elevated artsy position on like film. But now that like it's been, you know, a while since then, I was like, man, there's a lot of uh, like nudity in this thing, (laughs) which I was not ready for at all. So uh, in the future, I'll try to give a warning when there's a movie that contains this much like unexpected nudity. um, I think it is handled very well. And unlike something like... um, and have we said the movie Life Force, 1985's Life Force? That's the movie we're covering. I think you mentioned it briefly, but I don't think I actually said that's the movie we're talking about. Um, but unlike something like The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, where uh, Sybil Danning did not want to do a topless scene and did one, and then the producers took advantage of it by putting it like 30 times in the credits, uh, the actress who plays the space girl in this was more than happy to uh, play her... her uh, mostly nude role except small instances where she wears like a see-through uh, clothing robe yeah well she wears like a robe and then proceeds to just almost immediately remove it each time yeah. that we see her in it yeah so it, like in like i was kind of worried about that going into it that if this was like really exploitative and we'd already sort of committed to it but fortunately it seems that uh, matilda may the actress uh was very comfortable with it and uh to the point where uh, well, there's like an anecdote I think Toby Hooper, the director, said, which was um, she was comfortable just hanging out on set, not wearing any clothes. And he's like, and on those days, there'd be so many carpenters and electricians on set. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, I get it. Like, a bunch of dudes being creeps. But at the same time that she was comfortable with it. So you like to see that in a movie like this because you never know, uh, especially with like Hollywood culture when it is a situation where someone's being exploited and it's good to see that someone was just like completely comfortable with it and have like, like content with the atmosphere. Um, you like to see that in these kind of movies. Yeah. And I guess also she couldn't speak English. So uh, she, yeah, she could not. Yeah. So she had to learn how to speak English through this movie, which is pretty interesting. She actually did not learn how to speak English. She learned how to phonetically, uh, um, like, say her lines so that they could dub over with another female voice. And in some cases those like multiple voices. So that's actually never her voice that you hear. It's just one that they dubbed over because she only learned her lines phonetically. She did not know English, Hmm. which I think I told you about this before we started recording, but it was kind of an interesting situation uh, because they originally wanted to cast a UK actress as this. They didn't want to do the nudity that's required. They we're moving outside of the UK and they went to a bunch of German actresses that apparently like rioted or like, like had a mass protest about it. So those actresses like refused, but then they got the Matilda May who is French and she was just like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> totally happy with this. So, all right. Toby Hooper found his space girl as they, as they credit her as <laughs> his space girl. Cool. Well, I think, I think it's a good segue um, just to pop into like the actors and actresses. Cause we're already, we're already kind of halfway there. So, um, why don't, why don't you give us a rundown of uh, who we're going to be talking about? I can. 
So life force. Um, yeah. So like the, the cast and crew getting started. Uh, I mentioned the director, Toby Hooper, the legendary director behind uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, I haven't. You've you've heard of it. Get out of here. <laughs> the 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 or first one so important that out of like what the four uh, disparate timelines in like the greater Texas Chainsaw Massacre universe, like the first one is the linchpin in in three of the four. Have you ever have you ever looked into the, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre like timelines? How there's four different timelines? Yeah, I don't really understand it. Um, and I and I have I've never actually watched them in order, so like I don't even like I I couldn't even piece that together if I wanted to. Uh, it's very hard to watch them in order, considering that the order is all over the place. Because it was something like. You know, the original continuity did go and by release because it was just Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which was also directed by Toby Hooper. Um, I can't remember what the third one was called. And I think the last one was like the next generation. So like those four were like released in order. Then you had a, a brief period of time where they had a reboot and then a prequel to the reboot. So it's like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2004, 2005. And then there was Texas Chainsaw Master The Beginning, which was a prequel to the reboot so released it, after it. Though. So was it a pre-boot? I don't know, man. I don't know how you, I don't know. How you, it's, <laughs> it, they don't make it easy to follow this. And then the next one after that was, I believe, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, the original, uh, then there is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D, which I think came out in like the 2010s at some point, maybe 2013. Or no, it must have been before 2013. Or, you know, it, it might have been 2013. And then there was 2017's Leatherface, which is actually a prequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So there was a sequel done years later, Texas Chainsaw 3D, then a prequel to the original movie that's part of the same continuity that is that timeline i think they call it the revised sawyer timeline and then finally there is the new one the modern one which is just uh texas chainsaw massacre the original and then the 2022 uh, like last year's uh texas chainsaw massacre reboot that was done on netflix that's pretty bad so that's the fourth timeline i don't even have words did you follow? Yeah. Did, yeah. Hold on. Let me try you a graph. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to go through the rest of Toby. Yeah, you lost me Toby Hooper. So what? That was the very beginning. Oh, my bad. Uh, he did the Salem's lot miniseries, uh, which is very good. Pretty good. I really yeah, like that one. Was really yeah. Good. Um, you know, he did, uh, the fun house, which is a pretty solid slasher, uh, poltergeist. Maybe you've heard of it. Poltergeist. Um, yeah, Invaders from Mars. Uh, I already said Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He did that uh, spontaneous combustion movie in the 90s. Uh, it's called Spontaneous Combustion. And I think that it was like part of the reason that like in the 90s, like at your local library, you could find a bunch of books about like spontaneous human combustion. Yeah, that must have been like a bigger problem back in the 80s and early 90s. It had to have been. Yeah, yeah. People, people just be lighting up. They don't know why. Uh, Night Terrors. He did an adaptation of The Mangler, which I believe starred uh, uh, Robert uh, Robert Englund from, you know, uh, best known as Freddy Krueger uh, from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. 
But the Mangler is also like a short story, one of Stephen King's short stories. And it's kind of like a more zany one. And I kind of want to see that movie to see if it's like a straightforward horror movie, because it's basically about a lady that gets like uh, sucked into a laundry like steamer and folder and gets killed. But her blood uh, is and then some items she had on her or something like are the perfect things they need to create a demon ritual. And it gets this like laundry machine possessed by a demon. Oh my it's, god, this movie has a ton of people in it too. The Mangler? Yeah, Ted Levine. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's, a, Danny it's a big movie. Yeah. yeah we'll have to, um we'll have to add this to the list. Put it on the list, man. Although I think it's late nineties, isn't it? Hey, it mid nineties. I already I already gave the caveat. You guys can't complain. We're, yeah, you've been saying that since the beginning though, and we've like barely skirted into the nineties. Yeah. You can't just go full nineties. And another movie that I'd actually like to cover that is also 90s is uh, Body Bags, which was a project that um, Toby Hooper worked on with uh, none other than John Carpenter. And I think George Romero might have been involved as well, but like, don't quote me on that. But I know for sure that uh, John Carpenter is. Um, there's a movie called Crocodile, uh, The Toolbox Murders, uh, Mortuary. And then his last film credit was a movie called Gin, which I unfortunately have not seen. I can't imagine it's great. Uh, and then just television work, he's done like episodes of some of like your standard, um, you know, uh, anthology type television programs, amazing stories, Freddy's nightmares, uh, tales from the crypt, dark skies, uh, masters of horror. So I think dark skies is actually a separate TV show. It wasn't one of the anthology ones, but all the rest of those were anthology ones. And of course, Toby Hooper passed away in 2017. So RIP to a real one doing excellent work out there i have to say that like texas chainsaw massacre is probably like one of the craziest like that he did that movie in what 74 and so early in his career (laughs) and like the shadow cast of like such an iconic film is clear but i still think this is like so much work that he did that's amazing i mean poltergeist alone is another just yeah i was gonna say that's probably iconic film magnum opus was poltergeist and it was cursed yeah as we all know in real life we should do that one um, too i love that movie poltergeist yeah. yeah 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 i don't know if it would count as a cult film but it is a ghost film so we'll do it um so next up is just the author of the book that this is based off of uh colin wilson um he wrote the novel uh, as a 1976 novel called the space vampires uh, I looked at some of his other work. And I didn't really recognize any of it, so I'm not going to talk about it. So if any, uh, you know, Colin Wilson heads out there are pissed that I didn't go too deep into his bibliography, I apologize. Um, the only thing that I thought was really cool is that, you know, the book is called The Space Vampires. The movie is called Life Force. It's like, what's wrong with calling this movie The Space Vampires? I feel like that would have, like, told the audiences more about what they're getting into. And apparently... You know, this being like it was part of a three film deal that uh, Toby Hooper was doing with Canon Films and the producers had invested so much money into this that they didn't want them like audiences to think this was another low budget Canon film. They wanted them to know like, oh, this is a big budget movie. This is serious stuff. So they had uh, had the name change from the space vampires to uh, uh, to life force. And you have to assume that looking back that was a mistake like i feel like the space vampires probably would have brought in audiences way more 
because this was a financial flop. This was a, I got a $25 million budget in 1985, which is an insane budget for like a horror movie like this. And they did not make, I think they made me half of it back. Like it was, a, it was a huge flop. I mean, we'll get into it, but like the special effects in this movie are out of control. So, oh yeah, they, they, they put a lot of money on the, yeah, on the, on the for, ground for this. And it show like, yeah, we'll get there. But I think the only other movie that I can think of is like almost as egregious of a, like, you know, just call it what it is would be that, uh, chopping. Uh, what was it? no, no chopping all ruled. It didn't chop once. It didn't chop, but it, it was great. And there was a mall. No, I was actually thinking of a, like a more recent example was that Disney movie that flopped a few years back or probably like a decade ago now. Uh, John Carter, dude, it, like your, your perception of time is just baffling to me. <laughs> Do you know what year that movie came out in? What was it like 2012? I literally typed John Carpenter, not John Carter. Cause I'm an idiot. Yeah. It was 2012. So yeah. See, so yeah, a decade uh, ago, I said a few years ago, but yeah, for you know, sure. Like, oh, you know, that movie came out like a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. The other day. Well, hold on. Like time is relative. Yeah. Like a few years, 11 years. What's the difference of you? Yeah, seriously. It? Yeah. Think about it. What's a few years of space vampire? <laughs> what indeed? But no, that's the thing is because it was, you know, based off of the, you know, the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs Princess of Mars movies or books rather, not movies. Um, although they did do film versions of it that were kind of low budget before this. But so rather than call it, you know, even, you know, a Princess of Mars would have been perfect. So that was like the book that it was adapting. But even like John Carter of Mars would tell you that Mars is involved. And they said they just called it John Carter. No one knows who that is. Tell them that it's going to be space stuff. Ah, I'm still mad about that because I really like those books. Or at least I like the first book and the second book. War is Warlord of Mars the second book? Did you like the yeah, movie? I, like, I did like the movie. Yeah. It wasn't actually bad. It, yeah, I just think that it was poorly, like I said, like, you know, poorly uh, promoted. And the yeah. title choice was baffling. Like, I don't understand. Well, it wasn't like PG-13 too. Like, that, that was back when... Disney. This is pre Marvel Disney, right? I think. Yeah. No. The, well, yeah. So this would have been probably before the acquisition. Yeah. So like of Marvel. So this is pre like Disney kind of like doubling down on being cool. Um, as much as you th think or don't think they're cool. So like, I don't know. I think this would have done a lot better had this been made now with like current Disney. So. Well, I still think though, like the movie that we got was a decent space epic. It's yeah, just it was the good. name John Carter doesn't tell people that's what it's going to be. Yeah, but I mean, I, but oh. they didn't dump any money into it. They didn't put, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they didn't give. Oh, it, they dumped a ton of money into it, dude. They didn't. Not in the marketing. Well. That's what I mean. No, like, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we can uh, stop stop doing our post mortem of twenty uh, twelve's John Carter. Yeah. Uh, moving on to uh, one of the two uh, credited screenwriters for this, uh, Dan O'Bannon. Now, here are some chops. This man, Dark Star, which I think I bring up Dark Star to you like more often than probably anyone brings up Dark Star to anyone anymore. More often than you probably should. Probably. Uh, he also wrote Alien, uh, Dead and Buried. Uh, he has credit on uh, Blue Thunder. There's actually two Blue Thunders. I think that there might have been a movie and a in a series, like a mini series. Um, Invaders from Mars. So you know another uh, Toby Hooper film. Total Recall, 
if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. Great. That was a that was a joke because it's about memory stuff. Get it? No. Could you explain it? Okay, so Total Recall is about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger forgetting Bleh. about Mars. <laughs> That's what I do when I'm when I'm bored. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, screamers, bleeders. I don't know what either of those are, but those are both Dan O'Bannon joints. Um, and then here's one: he wrote and directed the Return of the Living Dead, which we're going to cover eventually on this podcast. Nice. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But one day. On to the next writer, uh, Don uh, Jacoby. Although I saw him also credited as Dan Jacoby, so I'm I'm trusting IMDb on this one that it's Don Jacoby. Um, he's got credit also on Blue Thunder, both versions of Blue Thunder, uh, the Philadelphia Experiments. Uh, he has a story credit on that, so you never know how involved he actually was. Uh, Death Wish Three, one of the stranger entries in the Death Wish franchise. Uh, also invaders from Mars. So you get the feeling that uh, he, Dan O'Bannon and Toby Hooper, you know, collaborated a few times here. Uh, Arachnophobia, the spider film. Double Team. Uh, maybe you've heard of this one. It's called Vampires. It's about uh, John Carpenter having a movie about vampires. I, I love that movie. Don't even fucking <laughs> don't. I know you're doing this on purpose because you know I like that movie. Because I said vampires and not John Carpenter's vampires. Yeah, it's John Carpenter's vampires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is that one. Uh, so good. Also, <laughs> look, James Woods is like an action hero. Are you fucking kidding me? It's got the weird Baldwin, like you know, like I think he's a felon, probably. Um, it's got time. I think it's going to be some more Baldwin. I know it's got there. Thomas Ian Griffith, who's the bad guy from, like, if you, everyone's watching Cobra Kai now. He's like the the bad guy. Uh, it's it's great. Mr. Tagawa's in it. Like, come on, man. So what is this? John Carpenter's Vampires? Yes. Oh, I'll have to look into that, see if it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple other things on this guy, on uh, Dan, uh, Don Jacoby's list. Uh, Evolution, so that good. movie with like David Duchovny and what, Orlando I- Bloom, I think was in it. What? Wasn't that David Duchovny and Orlando Bloom in that movie? Orlando Jones. Oh yeah, Orlando Jones. Jesus. Yeah, no, it was Orlando Jones and David Duchovny. It's got Ethan Suppley, Sean William Scott. Don't even get me started on Evolution, dude. Oh yeah, I forgot. Sean Ty William Burrell's in, in it. That. Ty Burrell, pre uh, obnoxiously popular Modern Family. Yeah, back when he was actually allowed to show some goddamn range. Yeah, because he was also in 2004's Dawn of the Dead, which was great. That's probably one of the best zombies. Sarah Silverman's in this. Probably one of the greatest zombie movies of all time. I love 2004 it. is Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, I love that. It was such so good. Dan Aykroyd's in this. I actually did like 2004's Dawn of the Dead, Pat but Kilbane. I do not like that it started some of that like running zombie stuff, which is, I do not care for running Julianne zombies. Moore. I think but are you still going through the like the cast of Evolution? Yeah. Well, then you may be excited to know that he also did Alienators Evolution Continues, the animated sequel that took over after the movie. Uh, but anyways, uh, music, Henry Mancini. And I think I bring up later that like with the London Symphony Orchestra. So like, yeah, it's pretty full wild. orchestral accompaniment on this thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty dope. Yeah. And uh, Henry Mancini has so many credits. Um 
you know, in an effort to try to keep this to a reasonable amount, because I know that people want me to ease up on my credits, um, the creature from the black lagoon, which rules. And I have a picture of it on my wall. Also though, the creature walks among us, which is the third and final movie in the creature from the black lagoon trilogy. Mm-hmm. Also love that movie. And I don't know why I've always loved the creature walks among us. It might just be because I loved the title when I was a kid. Um, keeping with the space theme, I did the music for Abbott and Costello go to Mars, uh, breakfast at Tiffany's, which is a pretty good movie other than, uh, a very unfortunate, uh, white dude playing a Japanese guy situation. It's a great song. What is breakfast at Tiffany's? No, it's a movie. All right. I'm just gonna leave the jokes to you today. It's totally there is a song called Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, I think I remember that film. Is it? Yeah, thank you. You <laughs> fucker. I I'll just have to like I thought that you were like you understood that I knew that there was a song, but you thought that I didn't, and then I couldn't not go with it. Uh but no, yeah. But yeah, I'd say that probably the legacy the, the there's like two legacies of that movie. One is the song, which is which was a pretty good song. And then there is uh the notion that Mickey Rooney did uh a horrifying uh impression of a Japanese man, which is a very bad legacy. That is so, true. All of the all the Audrey Hepburn kind of got um you know Sent by the wayside. The old hep. The old wait. That's not what that means. <laughs> I almost said it. You almost got me. That was clever. You're yeah, good at this. That was good. I was trying to make up for all the bad jokes I've said already. So <laughs> <laughs> back to uh back to Henry Mancini over here. Uh Charade, Frenzy, the Alfred Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. Uh The Glass Menagerie, which is based the movie was based off of like a play. And I remember watching that when I was in high school and I just figured I'd bring it up now. Uh, the great mouse detective, which is about Sherlock Holmes. If Such a good mouse. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's so good. Yeah. Also a uh, Hatari. I have to say it that way because it has an exclamation point at the end. Sure. does. Uh, yeah. Mommy dearest Nightwing, but not uh, Dick Grayson. The first Robin, you know, after he outgrows the role of Robin, mm-hmm. uh, it's a different Nightwing. Uh, the pink Panther. And also, like, several different iterations of the Pink Panther throughout he gets credited for. Uh, I don't know if it's him doing the music for each of the films or if they're just, like, taking his, like, you know, classic Pink Panther, you know, theme song and just running with it. So, yeah. So, uh, that that's probably his claim to fame is he, he when you hear that, dunna, 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 that's him. That's, he, he wrote that. That's him. Oh yeah, yeah. The movie with uh, what Steve Martin, right? What? what? <laughs> the movie with Steve Martin, huh? And yeah, and he talks what? about what he, he can't say. I would like to buy a hamburger. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't hear you. Or what? <laughs> no, no, yeah, the Peter Sellers one, obviously, this is the one yeah. we all love. Thank you. Uh, Santa Claus, the movie. Tom and Jerry, the movie. Uh, the Touch of Evil. And then I put a few TV shows here. Uh, Peter Gunn, Newhart, Remington Steel, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, also credit for the Pink Panther shows because there's been like three shows also in addition to like eight movies. So 
plenty of Pink Panther to go around. Um, and then I w didn't know if I wanted to bring this up or not, so I'm going to save it for the end and let you delete it. Uh, Ghost Dad seems to be like his last film credit, which would have been a great movie if it weren't for the Bill Cosby of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Did I give you enough room to delete it if you don't want to have that in there? I mean, like... <laughs> Yeah, I guess it happened. It happened. So there's a ghost, Dad. Kay. Next up, we're getting into the cast now. We're done with like non-cast. We're into cast, and I'm going to be moving with the speed that you've never seen. Uh, our main hero of sorts, I guess, Carlson, as played by uh, Stephen Railsback, uh, probably most famous for his role in the uh, TV miniseries Helter Skelter, where he played uh, Charles Manson. Um. You know, the stuntman, uh, trick-or-treats, torchlight, blue monkey, alligator to the mutation, which, you know, I, I'm a sucker for alligator one, less of a sucker for alligator to the mutation. Um, Quake, but not the video game. Uh, Barb Wire, the Pamela Anderson movie that is famous for being terrible. Um, disturbing behavior, the Hitcher 2, I've been waiting. Um, and some more recent credits, uh, would be, I think, uh, The Devil's Rejects. He had an uncredited appearance as a sheriff in that. And then uh, Ed Gein, a movie where he played uh, the titular Ed Gein, was one of his. He had some TV show credits that were germane to our entire project here. Uh, the Twilight Zone, X-Files, Dead Time Stories, stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's got, he's got a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good series of films and TV shows under his belt. Um, not a lot of it comes out to shine here though. Cause I feel like his performance is very weird, but we'll get into that. Yeah. It's not for now. That's for later. It's a later, it's a later problem. Next up is, Oh, and also Carlson is Colonel Carlson. We have to remember that his rank next up, Colonel Kane is played by Peter Firth. Uh, tons of stuff that he was in. Um, Aces High, Equus, which is a very famous horse movie, uh, Sword of the Valiant, The Hunt for Red October, The Rescuers Down Under. Uh, he was in Blood Royal, uh, William the Conqueror, which I only bring up because he was also in, or some other people in the past have been in that, and I feel like I should keep bringing up these through lines, see if one day uh, someone wants to graph all this out. Uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, where he plays a character called Stefan, or probably Stefan, because everyone says it wrong. Uh, <laughs> Amistad, Mighty Joe Young, Total Recall 2070. He was in three episodes of that, which I didn't even know that show existed. <laughs> uh, Pearl Harbor, and yes, that one. Um, he played uh, the Emperor Vespasian in two Ancient Rome series. It was like Ancient Rome, uh, Rise and Fall of an Empire, and uh, The Battle for Rome. Uh, probably what he's most famous for is his role in both the entirety of this, the series and then the follow-up film uh, for what was in the UK was called Spooks, but here in the United States, it was called MI5. Um, so it was like a pretty long-running British like you know, spy drama, and the movie was kind of famous for coming out after the show was done, and it had uh, Kit Harington of it, uh, in it. You know, Kit Harington, of course of Jon Snow fame mm -hmm. from the television program Game of Thrones. Mm. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, I believe so, yes. Probably the best ending in all of television. Okay. 
<laughs> no, infam- infamously fam- like pretty infamous for how how bad it ended. Yeah, you couldn't even hold that joke. No, no, I was really I was going to commit to it, but then I realized that I have a lot of friends that I that listen to this who would probably be upset with me for that. So Correction, I can't allow it. Had a lot of friends. Yeah, they 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 just stopped. They smashed the stop button as soon as that played, and then like unfriended me on all social media and blocked my number. So I'm a pariah now. Onward to our, I guess, antagonist of sorts, uh, the space girl, which is how she is credited, space girl. And it's how I'm going to refer to her from now on. The female space vampire, as played by Matilda May. Um, She's got a lot of stuff in her, like, credits that are French, and I didn't recognize them. I'm, I'm sure that people who, like, know French cinema or French television during these eras might recognize some things. Um, so I only pulled out the things that when I was reading seemed to be things that were important in the growth of her career. So I went with, uh, the cry of the owl, uh, three seats for the 26th, uh, a, uh, biopic called, uh, Isabel, uh, Eberhardt, at least I think it was a biopic, um, becoming Colette, uh, a girl cut in two and the players, probably the most famous thing that I had also seen her in before was the jackal. The, you know, the film with um, Richard Gere, Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Evil, evil Bruce Willis when mm-hmm. he blows off Jack Black's arm. Yep. He has good, crazy hair. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, she was in that. Um, so that and I actually remembered her character in that. That was pretty cool. Um, and then she was in a video game called Privateer 2 The Darkening. Never heard of it. But apparently it was the second in a series of Privateer games. Yeah, right, I never next heard up, of that either. No, me neither. Yeah, it's what I just put it there because video games, you know. Mm-hmm. Next up is Dr. Falada, as played by Frank Finley. And he's one of those like British thespians that has, uh, you know, a list of films that's like 198 long or like not films, but credits. There's no way I'm going to be able to go through that and find out everything yeah, that's important. No so, way. yeah, so I just picked up a, a handful of things that seemed uh, pretty important and might link up to other um you know actors in this uh the longest day pretty famous movie uh study in terror where he played inspector lestrade that was like a uh sherlock holmes story he played iago in a the version of othello that came out in the 70s i believe uh the deadly bees um actually it would have been the 60s for that othello my, my my fault because i have these in chronological order uh, he was in a version of Les Miserables where he played Jean Valjean. It was a 1967 miniseries. Uh, Cromwell, Shaft in Africa. He played Porthos in a series of uh, Three Musketeers projects. There was uh, Three Musketeers, The Four Musketeers, Milady's Revenge, and then uh, Return of the Musketeers. So he played Porthos throughout all three of those. Um, there was a TV version of Count Dracula that he was in. He was in the long-running British series Black Adder with, uh, what was that, Rowan Atkinson, I believe, is is in that uh, series. I um, believe so, pretty, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty famous one. Um, there's a movie that was a, it was a Spanish uh, Lovecraftian movie called, uh, well, it's got a m- name that's in Spanish, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that because I don't speak Spanish, so I'm just going to say that the name of it is uh, Cthulhu Mansion, I believe is what the English translation is. Uh, he was in The Pianist, the Academy Award-winning film, uh, and then I think his last role was uh, 
Merlin, uh, a character in an episode of the BBC series Merlin, which is a pretty solid series, in my opinion. So, so many more credits that I could go, I could go all day on this, this dude, but just tried to pull out some greatest hits there. Uh, next up is uh, Dr. Armstrong, played by a little known actor named uh, Patrick Stewart. You ever heard of this guy? No, what's he in? <laughs> yeah i'm kind of just counting on everyone knowing who patrick stewart is and he's in this yeah john luke picard himself he's wheels know, and x-men all of, get out of it no you're gonna quote the first x-men movie <sighs> such a good such a good joke but yes he was in, he's professor x in like all of like x-men you know everything he he recently actually uh reclaimed his title as the longest running person to play a comic book character he had been surpassed but then he re you know he was in the new doctor strange movie as professor x so he got the the world record back oh i'm sorry dude like you didn't know about that like yeah it was a good scene yeah Yeah, and he plays the character well which is like to his credit yeah um i can't remember who it was that overtook him i I should have written that down but i didn't write, write it down i just made note in my mind that he had retaken the record and obviously, Jean-Luc Picard is out of that like classic debate of you know Kirk or Picard. Obviously, if I was going to be serving in Starfleet, I would rather serve under Picard. Like, who would in their right mind choose to serve under Kirk? That's madness. Although, the best captain Hold is on. obviously Hold on. Captain Janeway Don't. from Voyager. Oh my god. What? What's wrong? Nothing. You don't agree? I'd like Working with heathens. What do you have against Janeway? Not as good as Picard. Dude, the stuff she had to deal with was like the challenges she had to go through as a captain and still keep her crew together without being able to get new crew members without getting resupplied. Dude, night and day. How many times was she a Borg and came back? Uh, I'm not done with Voyager yet, but it could happen. They've encountered the Borg many times. Just saying. She put a Borg on her crew. If anything, she, that even makes her uniquely qualified to judge the Borg because she like had one who's <laughs> part of her crew. Uh, anyway. Okay, can I can we agree on one thing though? No. On a whole, <laughs> the cast was better in the next generation. Yeah, you're right. Like, was, think about it. Yeah. I think that you there's a lot of great characters in voyager but you I got motherfucking reading rainbow you got the wow jordy laforge you, after everything we've been through with him you got you got uh mr ripley's believe it or not uh jonathan frakes trying to think of other stuff i can talk about people that i know of them from other things that and don't actually quote who they are i don't know but now nah, the cast is better yeah data data is amazing no yeah i mean there's no question but i think that you're you might need to refresh yourself on how good the cast of Voyager is because Voyager's cast is also quite good, but I'll give you the cast in TNG is so good that when, you know, Worf and, uh, what is it? Um, chief O'Brien, uh, move on to deep space nine, infinitely improve that series, which I actually, I'm a fan of deep space nine to begin with. I know that some people aren't, but even so, like just they re-energize the entire series when they go to be stationed there. Um, 
But anyway, that concludes our Star Trek podcast. Back to yeah, I was gonna say but, we we get stuck on these tangents so often. We should just like grab IMDb and just read and connect people <laughs> and just argue. Yeah. So although good, no. I, well, I just wanted to run through like the rest of Patrick Stewart stuff. So yeah, we yeah, just sure. Move on. Yep. Uh, very underrated performance he had was in the A twenty four horror movie Green Room where he played the skinhead boss of like this, like band go to play at like this club. It turns out to be a skinhead club. Very good movie. Um, and he's got a really good sense of humor about himself. He's been in like American dad for a while. Uh, he stars in a lot of family guy stuff. Um, yeah, I think he's been in Futurama just uh video game wise, since we're video game people as well. Emperor Uriel Septim, the seventh in oblivion. Mm. Uh, he played Zobek in both of the Castlevania Lords, of the shadow uh, games. Uh, Felix the Reaper is a more recent one that was uh, I didn't really care for it, but you know it has its fans. So like he, it's really interesting how like despite the fact that he's like a knight in the British Order, like he definitely leans into taking whatever projects he wants to do. So it's really like commendable as an actor. So go on. What were you gonna say that I before I interrupted you with that? Well, so we always joked about having like a running segment on our um like on our show. And I really like, I hate like gamifying stuff, but I really like playing like, um, I don't know, like 20 questions or like some kind of like six degree of separation. And I think probably if we could, if we could figure out a way to not have our episodes be three hours long and do a fun, like, <laughs> uh, six degree of separation and pick like, you have to only use like horror movies or something and pick like two people. I think it'd be pretty fun. Let us know what you think. Um, yeah, I'll forget if I don't say it now. So, yeah, yeah that'd be it. interesting. Yeah. Anyway, our next uh, our our next character is uh, Bukowski, who I didn't realize Bukowski was a doctor until I saw that he was credited as Doctor Bukowski. I thought he was, was a like, colonel. Oh. I well, I mean, it seems like everyone in the military is a colonel in this movie, but no, like he just seemed like he was like a government, like a bureaucrat. He didn't really seem like a doctor to me at all, uh, which we'll cover obviously in the actual, um, you know, synopsis, but uh, he's had a, a lot of credits. We've got, um, uh, he was also in both the three musketeers and the four musketeers, uh, which I had mentioned, you know, when I was talking about uh, the actor who played uh, uh, Dr. Falada, uh, Frank Finley, he was in uh, Warlords of Atlantis, uh, For Your Eyes Only, uh, Ken Russell's The Devils, which is a pretty good one, a 1992 film version of Frankenstein. Uh, he was in an episode of The Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense. So, you know, obviously Hammer Films, a part of that. Uh, some really interesting TV film projects, uh, Warrior Queen, an adaptation of uh, Boudicca, uh, Ivanhoe, Jack the Ripper. Um. And he unfortunately passed away in, hold on, let me see what year that was. 92. Was, like nine, was it 92? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd unfortunately taken his own life, which is devastating uh, to yeah. see because he had, he's, you know, a great actor. And then obviously, even if someone wasn't a great actor, you want to see that happen to them. Not at all. Um, so, yeah, it's sad to see. Um, next up is the Home Secretary, uh, who I just, they call him Home Secretary Percy, and I don't even know if Percy's his first or last name. I just call him Home Secretary throughout, uh, as played by Aubrey Morris. Uh, he was in The Night Caller, uh, The Sandwich Man, uh, A Clockwork Orange, um, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, 
Now, remember this, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. Keep that in mind. That's an older Hammer film uh, from the 70s, I believe. Uh, He was in The Wicker Man, the good one, not the Nicolas Cage one. (laughs) Um, I know some people disagree and say the Nicolas Cage one is good. They're wrong. (laughs) The original Wicker Man with Christopher Lee is amazing. The bees. Yes, the bees, indeed. Uh, He was in uh, the... Second Tales from the Crypt movie, uh, Bordello of Blood, which was an inferior uh, Tales from the Crypt movie, but there he is. And here's where I was going with that uh, last thing, though. He was also in Bram Stoker's uh, Legend of the Mummy, which is based off of the same Bram Stoker story that Blood from the Mummy's Tomb was, which he was also in in the 70s, the Hammer film. Which one's And this one was like... I've never seen either of them, and I need to now, but it's just so funny to see an actor who's in, like, two like adaptations separated by 30 years of the same, like obscure mummy story. (laughs) Like that's such a weird idea to me. I mean, I guess it's not that crazy. Like once you're in a genre or something that you get called up for these things. I just think it's so funny that like literally two adaptations of the same story. And he's like, gotta be a completionist about this. I want to see Aubrey Morris's name and every adaptation of this Bram Stoker story. But yeah, he's also, you know, TV credits, uh, Tales from the Crypt is a popular one, as we've seen, uh, Babylon 5. Uh, he's also in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I'm so curious about what episode he's in, because I think he passed away in 2015. So that would have been, well, I guess that show's been on for like, what, 15 years now? He's in Psycho Pete Returns. Oh, I remember that episode. Yep. Season 10, episode 3. Okay, I didn't know that. How were you able to look that up so fast? You just have the internet queued up for when I have lapses in memory? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, bro. Uh, Next up is First Male Vampire. And there's a second male vampire, but I don't bring him up because he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so he gets overwritten. Uh, This one is played by Chris Jagger, the brother of uh, a famous musician uh, named Mick Jagger. Have you heard of this guy? Uh, only from that song, that Kesha song. Oh, I don't know that song. What is that song? Don't worry about it. Moves like Jagger. No, 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 <laughs> no. Bad. Bad. It's not a Kesha song. No, that's not TikTok. Is the Kesha song? Oh, I've heard of that. Kick him to the curb unless they look like Mick Jagger. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he is in that. But yeah, no, that's uh, Mick Jagger's brother, Chris Jagger. He's got a bunch of stuff that he, he looks was credited like for. Jagger. I wasn't. Yeah, I, I looked at his credits and I was not interested in any of them. So I didn't write any of them down. I just like, look, it's good enough that he's got a famous brother. Let's just move on Damn. and move on. We shall. Damn. Next up is one. What? He had like five things he was credited for. I didn't care about any of them. Like. Look, we this movie has so many people. There's so many people that I cut out from my analysis here. I, you, this is even analysis. The people that I cut out from my list that I'm just like, we've got to smooth this out. I'm not going to go into Chris Jagger's like, credits when he is only in this like twice. And one of the times he's dead. Uh, next up is probably one of my favorite characters in this. Uh, favorite characters Lampson. without much to do. It's Yes, it was Lamson. I fucking knew it. <laughs> How did you know it was Lampson? I just knew it. <laughs> yes, it is Lampson. As played by John Hallam. 
Uh, he's a character actor. He's known for playing like uh, tough guys a lot, which is interesting because he doesn't really play a very tough guy in this. Um, but he 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 also crosses paths with a lot of people. Um, so on his list here, just the Charge of the Light Brigade, the Assassination Bureau, uh, Murphy's War, Nicholas and Alexandra, uh, Antony and Cleopatra. Really, really big into those like uh, historical uh, two people who are, are married and or in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hitler, the last 10 days, uh, the wicker man, you know, crossing paths with our man, uh, Aubrey Boris over here. Uh, the people that time forgot dragon slayer, flash Gordon, uh, Robin hood, Prince of thieves. <laughs> the one where Kevin Costner did his best to try to pretend he could do a British accent, uh, call the conqueror, which was not a very good movie. You know, our man called the conqueror as written by. Uh, Robert E. Howard deserves better, but we'll never get it because they're too focused on uh, putting Arnold Schwarzenegger and more Conan the Barbarian movies. Uh, and just so many TV series. This dude's been in so many things. Um, and the last person I wanted to give credit to is just a character that we'll probably focus on a little bit. Uh, Ellen is played by Nancy Paul. Uh, she actually, for someone who doesn't have a picture on her IMDb page, she has a lot of credits. Uh, so narrowing it down, she was in uh, Gulag, uh, The Return of Sherlock Holmes, four episodes of Beverly Hills 90210, uh, and then 25 episodes of a show called Space Precinct. No idea what that is. I was just surprised there were 25 episodes of it that I've never heard of. So that's all that Nancy Paul gets because she didn't even have a picture on IMDb. Can't spend too much time. But Which yeah, is weird. Just, what's that? That you can be in that many things and not even have like yeah. a picture on your IMDb page? Yeah. I mean, it is like what mostly curated by people who are like fans and stuff like that. I guess if people aren't willing to put in the work, then you're not going to get it. All right. Now that I've covered basically as much of the cast as we're going to go through, because there's so many more people that are just like random one off roles and I can't remember who they all are. We're just going to move on. So next up. Plot description. Yes. Did you put an effect on that? I did right now. You missed it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd do it. I could count on you. <laughs> All right. So this is what our longest movie yet that we've had to do. It's like just shy, like five minutes shy of like two hours. So I'm going to move through this plot description with the celerity that will astound. So. And I promised I will do my best to not interrupt you to keep your flow going, but... I've came I came to some realizations today like in preparation for this episode that I have to bring up. Like, do you want to bring them up now or do you no, want to bring them up when they when okay. we get there cuz it's it's a little bit of a reveal and I don't know if you'll I don't know if you'll cover it but I know in the movie when it happens. So All right. All right. Opening credits. The Canon Group, which I mentioned earlier that it's the Canon Group, but you know you love to see it cuz most of their stuff is low budget and fun and this one they decided they didn't want to be called the uh Space Vampires for some reason. Anyway, we get a rousing, uh, sweeping orchestral uh, music as we look at some rocks. 
I don't know if it's a planet. I don't know if it's a meteor. I don't know what it is, but sure is nice to have that score. And we will see later on in the credits that it's because it's the London Symphony Orchestra. May you heard of them. Um, then uh, we get our credits. The only thing I wanted to bring up was it says introducing Matilda May, even though she had like two other credits before this. It's not really introducing her, but probably to American audiences. All three of the people that saw it when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, we get a narrator who introduced us to a spaceship. It's called the HMS Churchill. He explains that it uh, <clears throat> somehow has constant acceleration due to a new engine. I don't know. Was it like the Nerva engine or something like that? It doesn't matter. Almost none of this movie takes place in space after like the first 30 minutes. So who cares? But it is apparently a joint U.S.-British endeavor to intercept Halley's Comet uh, for reasons that were never told why. They just are doing it. Don't worry about it. So we get to see a bunch of people on the ship that it doesn't matter that we're going to know who they are because they're all going to die except for one. Um, they're talking about uh, techno babble about their engines and about like readings on the ship and all this nonsense. Who cares? The point is that they see an object that's hidden in the head of the comet. What could that thing be? Uh, unfortunately, they're unable to send a message back to control because conveniently something called Como winds uh, are preventing them from being able to get messages through. Um, it what was the thing they said? Like, how far is the interference? And then the guy's like, all the way. It's like, oh, all the way. Watch out. It's a solid, um, uh, solid uh, unit of measurement. Yeah. It's like, how far is the interference? It's like they literally the have entire. instruments that could tell you. He's like, all the way. <laughs> all the way. It's like, you can um, read the their instruments are just probably ma- analog dials. They probably can't even go up very far. Probably just like kazoos. Uh, <laughs> Well, despite the dangers of the fact that they're not in contact with anyone, the American commander, who we'll later learn is Carlson, insists that they move forward to the mission uh, because the comet only comes around every 76 years and he has FOMO. So uh, they shut down whatever these weird engines are. That's good. I, what? He had FOMO. That's good. Uh, well, it's, I mean, that's what it was. He's like staring at it. It's like, I'm not waiting around because I'll be dead. Uh, anyway, they decide to turn off whatever those engines are that give them constant acceleration. I don't know much about physics, but I feel like constant acceleration isn't possible, but maybe it is. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. They retract these giant solar wings that were ov- over top of just your standard space shuttle. Uh, that was apparently what denoted the fact that it was using this new style of engine. Doesn't matter. It's never going to come up again. I don't know why they spend like the first 10 minutes explaining all this space science. We're not going to care about it later when there's vampires murdering people. Next up. Uh, we get, you know, not a terrible looking shot of them flying alongside uh, the alien ship. Uh, you'd mentioned earlier that you can tell that this is kind of like, you know, they put some budget into this thing and they definitely did. It's dated by today's standards, but it's not terrible looking like the the ship is basically they describe it as being like a big needle with an umbrella on the end. But it's basically just like a giant, like long tube with like uh, like bat like finger fins at the end they just keep calling that an umbrella it's like they look like claws my dude first sign you shouldn't probably go into this thing but you know movie's got to happen um i think they said it was there was some kind of vegetable they modeled it after but i'm not much of a vegetable guy but i think it was an artichoke does that make sense yeah i think it was i'm trying i don't remember because it, it was i thought they, they said, said it was like, artichoke yeah i think i think you're right yeah in any case it is long and spaceshipy you know, after that, uh, you know, using some pretty bad effects, but still, you know, not the worst you've ever seen. 
uh, four of the astronauts, one of them is Carlson, are moving into the structure. Uh, it's kind of an interesting shot. So I'm just kind of floating around. It's like kind of trippy, kind of colorful. You know, uh, unfortunately, it is kind of pointless because none of this really matters. Uh, it's just kind of a for for a two hour movie, wasting time on these shots seems kind of wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlson throws around one of these like, I feel like I've been here before kind of thing. Uh, which we'll find out later is important to the plot because he's going to be important. Unlike the rest of the crew who again will be dead. Uh, as they move through the ship, they discover uh, a more mechanical looking chamber. The earlier one looked kind of organic. Uh, this one's very like, like mechanical looking. There's no trippy lights. It's very gray, uh, you know, kind of Promethean. Uh, they see the dead occupants of the ship, which look like giant bats. And if there's one thing that I'd do if I went to a ship and I saw a bunch of dead giant bats is stick around. Uh, but anyway, um, there are apparently hundreds or even thousands of them, but they're all dead. Uh, Carlson remarks that they look prehistoric. Not sure how he came to that conclusion, but apparently he did it uh, because he then reaches out and just breaks the bat finger off of one of these things. <laughs> like, yeah, like hey, good science, buddy. Just like break it. Why is it that space scientists are the dumbest people on Earth in movies? Well, I guess they're not on Earth anymore. <laughs> but like this, they, they always do stupid. <laughs> they always do stupid stuff like this. Let me just like go break this like ancient alien. Why not? Right. Um. Yeah, but he. I think it was him that remarks that they're all desiccated and the fluid is lost to space over the years. Uh, we'll find out later. That's not the reason they don't have any fluid. These things get desiccated for other reasons. Anyway, someone says deploy the specimen bag. Uh, the specimen bag is what, Shane? What? What is the specimen bag that they deploy for one of these bat monsters? Uh, you don't remember this? No. It's only, a net. Yeah, it's what just it was. a yeah, net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was it, like a stupid, like uh It's just like a, a net. It's yeah. not even a bag. Like, what if the specimen wasn't a giant bat? I don't know, man. These scientists, what are they even up to? It's a space <clears> net. <throat> <But> anyway, <laughs> space net? Um, but then we get a call from outside on the Churchill. Uh, the crew remark that the giant claw tendrils on that umbrella, they keep calling it umbrella. It definitely looks like giant claws with like bat wing f- flesh flaps around it. Uh, they've started to move and open up. Uh, and at the same time where the astronauts are on the inside, a huge circular door with bright lights open up. Uh, no one decides this might be a good time to leave. Um, so they, uh, Carlson, um, you know, Carlson's asking the uh, the radio operator on the Churchill to uh, scan it, but apparently the it is not metal and it is not and it is radar transparent, which seems crazy. But you know, I guess it isn't either of these things. Uh, the boarding team moved towards the open chamber with the lights glowing in it that opened when they got in there, and certainly isn't some kind of trap. Uh, when they enter the room, they see a series of what look like little pod containers, but only three of them uh, seem to contain actual you know bodies in them the rest of them are all like you can kind of see that they're also similarly desiccated corpse to the uh, bat monsters outside um carlson uh, is immediately being pretty creepy staring at the uh female uh of these three uh i guess i don't think you call them corpses but they're like humanoid bodies uh he's being like i said a total creep like just staring at her uh, convenient shadows preventing us from seeing full dong on the men, which is by design apparently because male nudity is not permitted, but apparently full frontal female nudity is, which is true. Apparently it would have been rated X if you had seen wieners. 
Yeah, and I think so, even I think even then they they still have to limit like how much they can show. That is true. They did uh, remark. There's a couple shots I'll get to where they had to like alter shadows even on Space Girl in order to ensure that they didn't get like an X rating. Um, which is crazy because most of her nudity is just her walking around. Um, but anyways, all of the men are seemingly hypnotized. Uh, what is it? Uh, Carlson says something like it's a young girl and the Churchill is like, yeah, what you talking about? Are you saying they're human? And then one of the other dudes, I think his name's Darebridge or Danbridge or something like that. He's like, definitely humanoid. It's like, all right, man, let's just pump at the brakes a little bit. Cause he's getting real creepy. And he says something like, she looks perfect to me. And I've been in space for six months, which, uh, one of the fe- women on the crew, like kind of rolls her eyes at him. <laughs> like, like, okay, buddy. Title card, 30 days later. The Churchill's on approach, but it's radio dead? What could have happened to it? Uh, unable to be healed uh, by, what is it, uh, research science control or something like that? The R- mm-hmm. Is it RSC, Great Britain? Um, anyways, they're calling him up. That's when we get introduced to Bukowski. He's our main British guy who, again, is a doctor, but seems more like a bureaucrat. He's in charge of the Space Command. What is it? They decide to dispatch the Columbia and possibly the funniest way that the Columbia has ever been dispatched on a rescue mission, which is uh, one of the guys comes in and he's like, Columbia. And he's like, Columbia. <laughs> and then cut immediately to the Columbia flying off on its rescue mission, which was a, uh, a shot that you did not enjoy. If I recall, no, because the Columbia is like going in completely upside down, which I know is a stylistic choice to show us that gravity doesn't matter here, but yeah, it's kind of uh, off putting. Well, um, it was just like, okay, you could show the ship upside down outside. But like, yeah, yeah, but they, they actually show the interior of the ship upside down. And also the entire time. Like later on when the other ones are inside the ship and they cut back to the guy who's outside the ship in the Columbia, uh, still upside down. But meanwhile, Bukowski, he's in his office. He's watching the rescue mission on a wall of several TVs, which let's have a discussion here. This is supposed to be the future, but these are all like, old timey TVs. These aren't like flat screen plasma TVs. It's just one of those times where it's like jarring that they even tried to pretend that this was in the future. Right. <laughs> because everything after this spaceship nonsense could literally just be then could have right. just been the eighties. I don't understand it, but that doesn't matter. Um, the, Oh yeah, I guess the Columbia doesn't have the Nevis or the nervous Nerva drive or whatever, because that's the thing that gives artificial gravity to, the Churchill. Right. Uh, but anyways, there's a breaching team that go in and they, uh, seem that the, in- they see that the inside of the Churchill seems to be burned out. The Columbia helmsman back on the ship says, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, yeah, no kidding, dude. That's why you're there. Um, one of the guys is going to be- go to the tug bay. Um, which was funny because that- it's not Houston because they were in London. We have a problem. Yeah, it is funny. They were dispatched by the London, you know, the, the British version of it, but, it doesn't matter. He said Houston have a problem because that's what people recognize. Um, maybe he's just being like kind of sassy to them in London. Perhaps. Like, yeah, okay, it's not it's not Houston, dude. Anyway, sudden burned up corpse jump scare. Uh, all of the crew are dead and they're all burned up corpses. Um, one of the guys goes to find the tapes because even though this is the future, all of their records are kept on a series of giant tapes. Um so uh those exist. 
and they pull them out. Uh, meanwhile, in the tug bay, uh, the one guy goes and finds the uh, aliens in their little uh, pods, or they keep calling them cases. I, I keep calling them pods in my mind, but I guess I should say cases, because that's what the movie says. Um, and either way, uh, next up, there's a meeting back at the British like uh, Space Research Command. Uh, Bukowski is talking about how the cases basically open themselves up whenever they were talking about figuring out how to open them. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing sus about that. Better keep them here with us on earth and not in space. <laughs> um, but they can't tell what they're made out of because x-rays apparently don't tell them anything. It, ba- it basically just like when they couldn't scan uh, the alien ship from the Churchill, same thing with other things. They just basically don't exist. Um, then we get our first, uh, first uh, show up of um, Falada. When uh, Bukowski, I believe, is asking if the dead uh, can be uh, dissected, and he's like, I can't pass judgment on alien death. And the one dude's like, well, they're, they're definitely less alive than we are. It's like, yeah, man, I guess that's how you do it. Cut them up. <laughs> like, <laughs> go for it, buddy. Uh, back in Bukowski's office, one of his many TV screens are on the news. And, and yesterday, apparently in Hong Kong, gold closed lower. That's one of the things that it says. Yeah, uh, and it also talks weird. about West Germany, which is weird because West Germany apparently uh, once again in the future exists. Uh, no foresight. Times. <laughs> yeah, they could have just said Germany. Like we could have just like hope for the best. In any case, uh, for some reason, uh, the news dude decides to go on a thing, like a whole tangent about Haley's Comet and about how comets were once harbingers of evil uh, because disaster is Latin for evil star, um, which I don't think that that is necessarily referring to comet. I thought that was just to like the stars in general. Uh, if you like to be born under an evil star, but whatever, it's just a way to foreshadow that something bad's on the way as if we didn't already know that. Um, and then he also talks about how that could be uh, a sign that something went wrong with the Churchill cause it's missing and everyone's probably dead. True. Um, and then some of the scientists were in the room where they're keeping the space girl now outside of her little pod. I don't know why they were in there. Cause they definitely weren't dissecting her yet, but they leave and leave one of the soldiers, uh, there, or he, he was leaving with them. Right. And then he turns around and comes back in. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's basically hypnotized. Like anytime the dudes are around this, uh, chick they just get like hypnotized like space girl hypnotized all men all the time um so the sweaty soldier moves back in oh by the way i call him the sweaty soldier because he is like the worst fop sweat of all time throughout every scene we see him in like constantly uh, yes yeah 100 percent um so he goes in to uh cop a feel on on space girl when suddenly her eyes open up she's not dead she sits up um and she like does she like just start making out with him? Um, no, she kind of like uh, she kind of like hypnotizes she, him more and like stands, and then um, that's when uh, Bukowski the, is wakes up and sees it, right? Well, in the camera. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Bukowski has his his yeah he has his yeah. his TVs that he got from I guess a zenith. Yeah, and he has all of his all of his old timey TVs. Um, there. So yeah, when he, he wakes up from his nap and sees space girls now standing up just in front of soldier guy, sweaty soldier. And 
oh man, something's going on. Um, so Bukowski, you know, decides to run out of the room. Uh, then Space Girl gives uh, Sweaty Soldier, you know, a big old kiss. Uh, and then after the initial kiss, she goes in for another. And this is when like the lights start to flicker and we get some like crazy animated energy swirls flying around while she's like sucking the energy out of him. Right. Um, the life force, if you will. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, Bukowski runs in and, you know, soldier, sweaty soldier is standing there, but now he's all shriveled up and he's a husk and he's making all kinds of weird braying noises, which I think is kind of fun. I don't know how else to describe whenever people are shriveled up into like basically mummified human corpses. They like kind of bray like donkeys. sort of. Um, they did such a good job with this. <laughs> uh, but there's not a lot of time for Bukowski to react to the fact that sweaty soldier is now a desiccated human husk because space girl comes in and uh, gives him a kiss and starts sucking up his energy. But I guess she's not as hungry this time because he survives this one. He doesn't get fully, you know, corpsified. So th- at that point, you know, uh, Falada, uh, you know, he comes into Bukowski's office and sees that Space Girl is standing on the screen, and he does the reasonable thing and gets some guards and other doctors and stuff to come with him. Right. <laughs> like when he comes in, he's coming in with basically an army, but he's too late. Bukowski's there and he's already like, you know, all messed up, and um, says that she's gone. And uh, says that she did that, you know, pointing to the desiccated corpse of what was formerly our sweaty soldier. Falada, you know, being a reasonable person, uh, calls security to be on a lookout. And he says, don't worry, a naked girl isn't going to get out of this complex. Uh, spoiler alert, she will. Uh, long scene. Oh, yeah, by the way, she's been naked basically this entire time. When she stood up, fully naked, running around. Um, which I guess is the point of that is to show like, oh, that's why these men are hypnotized. Because naked girl is like, well, I guess so. Or just like her vampire powers. There's just like a several scenes of her just walking through the complex. Uh, there's that old guard who's like sitting there like what eating a sandwich or something. And he sandwich. just sits there like like just like like mouth open eyes wide while she walks by. <laughs> it's like he was too stunned to do anything about it and watches until finally he just does a call on the radio. He's like, you're not going to believe what I just saw. Um, so next Sorry, go ahead. Are you going to get into later of why they look the way they do? Yeah, it was to why they look like humans. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll bring this up later then. Great. Yeah, I mean, if you want to spoil it now, I was just going to bring it up whenever she reveals the truth to Carlson later. But if you want to, if you want to get into it now, we no, can. I think we can wait till later. I, I it's think not really a huge spoiler. It's not why it is that way, but yeah. it kind of explains what's happening. Like to you mean just how all the men are basically like like hypnotized yes. or stunned or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But because apparently only straight men existed in 1985. Yeah. But, but so here, here's what was weird. Okay. So in our, are we just, we'll just get into it now. So the reason she looks the way she does is because she like their species, they're able to like enter the minds of like people and then alter how they look. So, I think they always look like the bat things. And then they, oh, you don't think they've actually changed form. You think that they always look like the bats, but they are using people's perceptions to alter their appearance. That's what I think. Because if, because if but they, she looks the same to everyone else, even though she got her right 
I mean, we're just going to spoil it. She got her look from Carlson. Correct. So, so she looks to everyone the way that she does to Carlson. It's not like it's just to him that she looks like that. Right. But I mean, like, but I'm saying like, I think like, I don't know if they actually alter their appearance or if they just give off that. Like if it's like a cloak or like a costume. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of hard to tell because they definitely change their forms other times. Correct, because they can bounce between bodies and stuff. So like it, when they don't have to be naked either. Well, so that okay, so this is this gets into my point of what I what I thought about today. It's like okay, <laughs> they literally went and like even the guys on the ship even were making comments. So she, they literally copied, like, think of like people stuck in space for three or four months or however long they were on that trip to Haley's Comet. Well, I guess it was 30 days. Um, so like of w- what that would do mentally to like Carlson and the other people on the ship. But what was weird was then why were the guy vampires existing? Like who did they, like whose mind made them, right? So I thought that was kind of strange because like all of them took on forms of well, that's difficult to say because there were female crew members on the Churchill. So some of those women, they could have gotten that appearance from those women. But then why weren't or, they connected like Carl? So I feel like that's why Carlson and this girl were connected is because she kind of like mind melded with him and was like, I'm going to make so like he has to like, I don't know. It was weird. It, yeah. I feel like it doesn't hold up to scrutiny because I kind of just gather that they just because she specifically says she came from Carlson's mind. Like that's I am the woman that exists in the recesses of your mind or whatever right whose mind did the guys come from or do they also come from carlson's and they're just guys that he knows or thinks of or something so right so that's what i was thinking was like okay so is carlson the keto like it's just weird like how they described how they changed form and why they look the way they do but then if you think about it, it's like okay then why are they naked because like they don't have to be like at any point like in fact, there's a, towards the end there's scenes where like they're fully clothed. Well, they don't manifest those clothes though. I gather they have to get them. Yeah, I guess because I don't it, know, maybe yeah, you could. We're gonna like, get into that a little later yeah, because right. yeah. All right. Anyways, yeah, cool. Continue. Let's, yeah. So where was I? Space vampire um, voodoo magic guy eating sandwich. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So uh, you know there's then we get to the uh, two snacking guards in the front desk. Uh, they get the call. What was that? A lot of sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, they were also eating sandwiches. A lot of sandwiches going on around here. Um, but yeah, they were. They get the call about this girl, and they think it's a joke until they see her like on her way down the stairs, and like, oh, uh, we better stop her. She's the naked girl we're waiting for. Um, bad move. Uh, one of them who tries to approach gets magicked away by her energy powers. Uh, he, what he, uh, she like chokes him out. Uh, then second snacking guard also tries to get there and she like uses magic powers to like throw him aside or something like that. Uh, the only one who isn't uh, accosted by magical powers is the old guard, uh, who is from upstairs. He's still there, but he's keeping his distance wisely. That's what, uh, old age and experience gets you. Don't get in the way of, uh, energy vampire girl while she's on her way out of the place. Um, using her space powers, uh, she just explodes all the windows. (laughs) at the lobby and walks out uh still fully nude heading on out which is actually interesting apparently um they put like uh some rubber like stick-ons on the bottom of 
Matilda May's feet so she could walk through because that was like actual glass that could cut her. So in order for her to do those shots, you know, rather than use like some effects budget to or you clothing. know make it look fake, yeah, or just give her shoes. <laughs> nope, they're just gonna stick some some like rubber soles onto her feet so that she can still walk out naked. Um, yeah, so she got out of the building. Falada, uh, Doctor Falada finally gets down there. The guards are back on their feet. Doesn't seem like they're dead, dead. Uh, but you know, he can see that the girl, the space girl, she's well on her way out of there. So after that, we get some serious military dudes coming in. Uh, you can tell they're serious military dudes because one of the dudes who's uh, they're taking some pictures. They seize his camera and take the you know film out of it. Say no pictures. Uh, the main one is our dude, Colonel Kane. Yeah, saying that, hey, this is all classified. This is a denoted situation. We don't know what that means, but it sounds serious. So at, at that point, uh, Bukowski and Falada are showing Kane the uh, desiccated remains of what was once the sweaty soldier. You know, Kane is questioning how the girl is able to overpower Bukowski, you know, being that to him, she appears to be just like a, you know, regular, you know, sized woman. Uh, Bukowski explains that uh, she has the overwhelming sexual presence that's impossible for men to resist. Uh, so space girls got that wizard powers going on here. Mm -hmm. um, Kane is asking a lot of really good questions. How did she know English? Uh, what is the deal with, uh, you know, what is it with the fire on the ship? You know, how were the tapes destroyed in the fire? You know, but then he learns that the tapes were erased and there was an escape pod missing from the Churchill some things that they had kept from the public that even Kane didn't know, despite the fact that he's like MI five or whatever, mm -hmm. or no, he's SAS. He's SAS. MI five was his television. The same actor played later. Got my British stuff mixed up. Whoopsie. You know, Bukowski, he's struggling right now. He seems like he's really tired. He asked Kane if he can be excused because he's nauseous. Uh, and I thought because Kane came in like such a hard ass, he's gonna be like, nah, you're staying. But says he's just like, yeah, go ahead. Get out of here, buddy. So Bukowski's able to leave. Kane is talking to Falada. Uh, this is where we start to learn more about Falada as a person. <laughs> uh, so he explains that although he's a biochemist, you know, Falada is also obsessed with death. So he's into what? What is it? Thanatology. Uh, he's, so, in, he's into cradle of filth. <laughs> he really loves his black metal. Um, yeah. So no, he's like obsessed with uh, thanatology. And this is such one of these weird exchanges. It doesn't make any sense because Kane is like asking Falada, oh, so is there life after death? As though Falada would somehow know that. Uh, but then Falada is like, do you really want to know? And Kane's like, no. But then uh, Falada answers anyway and says, yeah, I think so. It's like, all right, we're really figuring stuff out out here. Uh, anyway, Falada is talking about the uh, preservation of life force and how... Uh, it was absorbed from the guard and from Bukowski. And Kane says, oh, like a vampire. And then Falada says, you could say that. Spoiler alert, he's going to literally say that later. Falada is going to jump right on board with vampire theory. And that, kids, is called plagiarism. <laughs> so. I mean, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that about a lot of art. Like any derivation is a form of plagiarism. But at the same time little different because this is kind of worse anyway there was a baby duck in a dawn commercial that i got during this so i put that in the notes cool yeah 
was a cute baby duck. Anyway, um, there is a jumpy guard. <laughs> I just described the guards by whatever they're doing. Snacking guards, jumpy guards, old guard. This jumpy guard uh, is over there watching over the two male vampires. Uh, he turns around to look at their cases for seemingly no reason. Uh, but there is a reason. And so he can get jump scared by the other guard who's in the room. Uh, but good thing that that happened because sudden explosion and the male vampires are up and they are walking using energy magic to explode all of the windows, which fortunately are just from like partitioned areas, not like full room windows. Mm -hmm. So we have like a waist down covering so we don't see wieners and get an uh, NC-17 rating. And they're walking towards these guards with like, I would say, very intense stares <laughs> would be a way to describe it. Uh, but the guards aren't playing any games. Apparently the male vampires uh, do not have the same uh, overwhelming sexual effect. Uh, so the guards are firing their submachine guns at them, putting some holes in them. Not as many as you'd think from the amount of rounds they're shooting. But, you know, I don't know how well the trained these guys were. One of the guards does uh, get smart, though, and throw a grenade, which basically blows these dudes into pieces. And at that point, uh, it was what Falada and Kane come in. And they're looking at the exploded remains of the two male space vampires. Like, well, no chance of doing a uh, autopsy on these guys now. It's like, oh, you can still slice up what's left. But he instead followed. I want to do an Wants to go see the autopsy that's apparently about to happen on the shriveled up sweaty guard because they've decided they're gonna they're gonna do an autopsy in him. Mm -hmm. But the team of doctors that go to cut him open, he starts making that crazy like. They call it a moan, moaning noise in the uh, subtitles on Tubi, but it sounds to me like the braying of a donkey. That dude is making some kind of crazy noise. So he sets up in a fully puppeteered scene of a desiccated corpse man. I actually think it's kind of cool. It's very fake looking, but I think it's kind of cool that they just got full on like desiccated corpses. I thought they to, did like, a good job puppet. with that. And then the eyes look good. Like, I thought they did a good job. Well, to kind of give you an idea about like how good some of these like you know shriveled up corpses are, I saw on IMDb's trivia, which you know take it with a grain of salt, that these were also used as extra parts in the 1999 Mummy movie, the one with Brendan Fraser, that they actually used these corpses as some of the mummy corpses late in that movie. So interesting, cool if true. But in the first and maybe only instance we see of a man actually getting hypnotized by uh, another man vampire, uh, one of the doctors is seemingly hypnotized by the shriveled corpse of the sweaty guard. And he starts walking towards him only to get uh, energy absorbed himself. So full on energy transference of the beam between their mouths and all of the crazy blue energy effects and many reaction shots of many people <laughs> of like alarm and disgust and screaming. Like, like just were you surprised by how many, yeah, like how many times it cut to like the guards outside the surgical suite and the doctors inside the surgical suite and literally everyone around? It's like, is anyone going to do anything? It's no, like, they're not. It's like one of those, <laughs> like, uh, one of those, like, crazy reveals in like a uh, soap opera or like telenovela. And then they cut to all the characters, like, gasping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what human being would react this way? The answer is none. But yeah, so it's over. Uh, doctor is now shriveled up, desiccated corpse. But sweaty guard is back to being sweaty guard. Sweaty palm. Uh, sweaty palm. Sweaty palm. Man, call back to the stuff. Love to see it. Um, 
But doesn't matter. Sweaty guard now starts to whimper and cry. And now the guards seem to finally be like, okay, we can't have a man crying up in here. So they grab him up. One of the other doctors uh, grabs a uh, injection of some sort. I guess it's probably to calm him down. They give him a shot. Doesn't work. And drag him out of the room. What was that? It like doesn't work. No, it does nothing. Well, I mean, I guess it would probably take a while to go into effect, but, but he's yeah, a no, vampire, they, I guess. Well, yeah, he has that extra skills as we know from later when they try to use hypnosis drugs. Spoiler alert coming up. Yes. So because of this, uh, Falada realizes that the space vampirism can be passed on and he deduces that it takes two hours for them to come back. So he says, yo, we got to put all these dead people into cells because they're going to come back. Smash cut dead girl in the park. Well, I guess it's not really a cut. Someone's like, hey, yo, it's a dead girl from the park who's showing these same symptoms. So then they go out to the park. Uh, cops are there. And then this is where I was telling you that it seems like the space girl does need clothes because um, she took the clothes from this girl who she absorbed because she's now a desiccated corpse over there. They get some witness statements from two like youths who seem kind of pervy because they saw that one of the girls wasn't wearing much in the way of clothes and made some assumptions and came back to see if they could see them, uh, quote, doing anything yeah. uh, instead found a corpse. So way to go, guys. Your perversion led you to find a dead person. Yeah. And that's when they're like, oh, because this girl is, you know, this dead girl is, um, you know, naked space girl now has clothes. The opportunities for her to move on are endless now. Back at the lab, uh, two hours have passed. And at this point, what the home secretary has arrived, home secretary Percy. He's there with Kane to witness uh, the ensuing nonsense with uh, Kane and Falada. Uh, sweaty guard is, uh, you know, starting to, he still looks like sweaty guard, uh, but he's now growling and he's getting extra sweaty. Uh, suddenly he redesiccates, you know, back into like the corpse mode. Uh, which um, Falada predicted because he says the victims will need regular infusions of energy. Sweaty guard will no longer be sweaty because uh, Falada, what he takes like some kind of pipe and just like pokes sweaty guards, desiccated corpse, and then opens them up to find that in the inside, he's all dust, which is kind of messed up. He's just like, all right, time to start poking this dead guy. Yeah. Just dust, like, dust in the wind. Yeah, I mean, that's Falada, renowned biochemist and also a thanatologist. And Kansas fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because of Dust in the Wind? Yeah, it took you a second. I thought you meant carry on my wayward son. Oh, man. There'll be peace when you are done. Down the hall, the doctor is back up as a walking corpse man. Uh, but when he turns around and sees some juicy humans with energy, he runs at them only to explode into dust. <laughs> When he hits the wall of his cell, like the, the, it's not really bars. It's more like chain link fence. Like they, it looks like they put them in a supply closet downstairs. Yeah. Like what are those like in your apartment? Like the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like the, 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 the cage. Yeah. The storage unit cage like, that I have in the like basement. Chicken wire and plywood. Yeah. Like I was just supposed to keep these guys out. Well, luckily, they're them. dust. Yeah. Fortunately they're dust. So it will. Yeah. So the doctor just runs at them and then explodes into dust. He's gone. So yeah. Falada says, Oh, well that means the same thing will happen to the girl from the park in approximately one hour, which tells us how long it's been since the park. Uh, so this time they decide to uh, hook up her corpse to a bunch of monitoring objects in order to see what's going on here. You know, she does wake up once the two hour mark is there. 
Uh, she tries to struggle, but she's like, you know, fastened down. The machines are going crazy with their readings and they start to explode like they're scouters. They're trying to go over 9,000. And after all of these things explode, uh, she dies. And it's like, oh, she's dead because of, uh, you know, being energy deficient or whatever. No, she also explodes into dust for seemingly no reason. That didn't make any sense because Sweaty Guard did not do that. But, you know, they must have had some dust they needed to use for this movie and they decided to do it. Um, Homes. Yeah, it's got, I mean, it's gotta be right. Uh, home secretary, uh, asks how they were brought back from the Churchill. Uh, Kane says they have no way of knowing, but then Bukowski is here and he says, that's about to change. Cause we found the missing escape pod. And then it was like, someone's like, Oh, where is it? He says, Texas. And then cut immediately to a thunderstorm. <laughs> like, it seems like their opinion of Texas is negative here. Cause it's like, where is it? Texas immediate thunderstorm. A <laughs> um, bunch of soldiers are running to the pod. They open it up and it's Carlson. But you can tell time has passed because he's bearded now. That's how time works. Um, <laughs> yes. That's how you can tell the time has passed. Uh, Bukowski says, get him out of Walter Reed Hospital and get him here to the UK immediately. Luckily, we don't have to spend any time with establishing shots of Carlson getting on an airplane. We just jump cut to Carlson being there. Uh, Carlson's being really cagey about what happened. He says, you aren't about to believe this, but I have a story for you. Kane is like, I've seen movies before. I'm not going to let this happen and says, no, Hey, we're going to believe you because one of the things that we got off of that thing was a girl and she came out and killed three people already. So go off, go for it, my man. So Carlson's, Oh, sick. Then here you go. Uh, basically picks up where the movie cut out before the, you know, 30 days later title card. Uh, they bring the space girl into the ship. Uh, she is basically killing folks one by one, as he says. Carlson is uh, talking about, um, what is it? Uh, oh, I think I skipped ahead, didn't I? Yes, because he at first they get there, and this is one of the first hints we have that Carlson is a little bit different, because the one guy, uh, Danbridge or Darebridge or whatever his name is, mm -hmm. is like, I feel drained. And Carlson's like, I feel invigorated. Spoiler alert, it's right. because he's got energy stuff going on with Space Girl. So he explains then that the crew started to die uh, one by one uh, and that Rawlings, uh, the radio officer, was the first to go. But before he did, he went crazy and wrecked all the radio equipment so they couldn't call ahead. Uh, sudden cut to Rawlings, uh, now a desiccated corpse. The life has just been drained out of him. I think it was also a brief scene where like Rawlings is like, I don't even know how this could have happened. And then uh, rather suspiciously, uh, Carlson's like, hey, you and I are the only people up here. And I'm the commanding officer, so you must have done it. Spoiler alert, it was Carlson. It's fair. <laughs> then we won't find that out till later. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we just basically then cut to a bunch of shriveled up corpses. Just Carlson sitting in a room, bearded, alone, surrounded by a bunch of corpses that are all shriveled up. And then also a large portrait of Edmund Haley, of Haley's Comet. <laughs> Which I thought was funny, like we know that was their mission, but it's just funny that they just put like an oil painting of it's him like there. super on the nose. <laughs> yeah it's like we, like we this love is our this mission guy. guys yeah um but then carlson says that once he saw that earth was coming up through the window he knew he had to stop it and uh couldn't bring couldn't allow what they brought to come back to earth so he basically goes through the entire ship and opens some very easy to reach uh oxygen valves in every single chamber i feel like those would be harder to get to agreed um 
yeah so he go and then he wants he gets to the tug bay he uses some kind of uh kind of fake looking space gun to set the bat monster on fire and then he goes to the escape pod uh which by the way did you notice that this escape pod was a single man escape pod even though they had a crew of like 12 people yeah <laughs> it's like we're only gonna let one of you live the rest of you can go down the ship yeah so he goes into the into the pod and then once he like is in there Finally, the oxygen fills up enough that the burning bat causes an explosion. Uh, Carlson says it was the hardest thing he's ever had to do. And they say, oh, we understand because your crew is like, no, 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 no. I didn't want to leave Space Girl. She had her hypnotic powers over me. Then we get a cut to Carlson, have himself asleep. And, you know, Kane creepily watching on the monitor. Because Kane, uh, despite the fact that he's probably our main hero other than Carlson, is a real creep a lot of times. He's often sitting, staring at things or people. Bukowski tells Kane that NASA and their command have de- detected that the ship is the alien ship is leaving Halley's Comet and is on its way to Earth's orbit. So jot that down. That's going to become important later. Uh, Kane wakes up from his dream, but rather than the establishing shot we saw of him sleeping earlier, he seems to be engulfed in total darkness. Suddenly, Bat Monster across the room, backlit, zooming at him. Oh, but Bat Monster turns into Space Girl in a robe. Like the wings are like her robed arms. Uh, Space Girl and him have a weird conversation, which most of their conversations are, uh, where she says, uh, uh, he says, you're giving me your life. And she says, you're taking it or something like that. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, Now she's naked again and they're making out in what looks like a fenced in mausoleum area, like a crypt of some kind. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, he says, oh, you're draining me too much. What you up to over here? And he wakes up all sweaty. He puts sweaty guard to, sh- to shame with this. Uh, and he's screaming. His screaming gets you know, followed on Kane to burst in. Uh, Carlson then reveals that he has mental contact with the girl. Uh, but he can't remember what the dream was. But he apparently has memory of having mental contact with Space Girl. Uh, you know, uh, what is it? Um, Falada asks if it's a, if he can hypnotize him uh and you know Carlson's amenable to it but the doctor says not now he's exhausted and then they decide they'll do it in the morning and I'm like oh is there a reason to do that no just cut to the next scene and it's morning and they're doing it, it makes no sense to not just hypnotize him then yeah especially when he already had a bad dream yeah like what do you think just go right back to sleep after that uh under hypnosis Carlson reveals that he has the mental link to the space girl uh and uh since uh i guess what is it she can detect him so falada decides that means that carlson can also detect her so they have like this connection um and uh carlson reveals that space girls actually in another body now uh which demonstrates that they can throw their consciousness into other bodies and she's looking to absorb energy of some people but not enough to kill anyone because leaving a trail of corpses is going to give her away. So she's going to take enough energy, just keep moving on. And then space girl, uh, Carlson realizes that space girl is in the body of a woman named Ellen and space girl is like controlling Ellen, but it is inside of Ellen, but is not, it's not space girl's physical body. So keep that in mind. That's going to be important later. Uh, and I guess uh, space girl in the body of Ellen sees a dude 
doing some work on his car and decides that's the victim. Uh, Carlson, because of seeing through like Ellen space girl's eyes is able to read the license plate. If this is getting really confusing, uh, it doesn't get better. It's never quite clear how this whole like consciousness jumping and body jumping and also regular physical body thing works. They never make it very clear. So yeah, Ellen space girl, uh, once she's in the car with this dude, like hikes up her skirt and is putting the moves on this guy because going to use vampire powers to absorb some of his energy. Uh, Carlson wakes up. Uh, Bukowski then has the idea that the ship is coming to earth because they are like the vampires of legend and have, uh, uh, have to bring their, their earth with them. Like how vampires have to put like the soil they're buried in, in their coffin. Mm -hmm. No idea how he reached his conclusion, dude. I don't know what he even means by that. That makes no sense to me. So yeah, after Bukowski makes his incredible jump that the vampires need to carry their earth with them, uh, Falada decides he wants to run completely with his old vampire theory and has like some kind of like old sword delivered to him that he's going to test on vampire skin cells, which is kind of funny because he's then questioned by like some doctor on the phone about like, obviously the other end of the conversation is them asking him if he can do like, will he be able to abide by quarantine? like uh, procedures he's like yeah bro this is dr falada you're talking to this is the number one biochemist hypnotist and also thanatologist in all of britain <laughs> don't talk down to me <laughs> yeah uh but he also wanted to have one of the soldiers uh sent in so he could talk to him so the soldier arrives and oh no it's one of the male vampires and then it cuts away and we basically don't see him for like another hour <laughs> So, which was crazy, like how this <laughs> happened. Like, yes, yeah. And then when you see him again, it's even weirder. Oh yeah, no. Well, I mean, it kind of fits with his character, but it's also like we we basically missed an entire movie's worth of Doctor Falada action. Uh, I've got all kinds of criticism about that stuff, so <laughs> don't worry. Um. So yeah. Anyways, uh, the the men discover that uh, Ellen the the woman who was inhabited by space girl uh, works at a hospital called Thurlston, which of course is an asylum for the criminally insane. Why wouldn't it be an asylum for the criminally insane? It has to be. Uh, so sudden helicopter landing at the at Thurlston hospital. When Dr. Armstrong who runs the hospital comes out played by none other than Patrick Stewart. Hell yeah. So yeah, so he's finally here. We've been wondering where he's been this entire time. He shows them to Ellen's like apartment building, which I guess is like the nurses residence. Like all the nurses live here or whatever uh, to keep Dr. Armstrong from asking too many questions. Uh, Home secretary, Percy lures him away. I guess I didn't say who went on the mission. It was Kane Carlson and then home secretary, Percy, you know, Percy being there to, you know, lend a bit of gravitas, some government authority to these things. But yeah, anyways, they, uh, they go up to Ellen's uh, room and um basically things escalate like alarmingly quickly carlson just grabs her by the arm and asks if you know is it in there or whatever and then just slaps her in the face right away and kane actually like he had taken a seat and kane stands like carlson what are you doing and uh carlson deduces that uh space girl has left is no longer in ellen but ellen is a masochist and wants Carlson to force the name out of her. And, you know, he says, he says to Kane, like, if you don't want to see this and you can get out of the room. 
and Kane being the creep he is, so like, oh, not at all. I'm a natural voyeur and has a seat again. Yeah, that was weird. It's like, it's like, oh, Kane, why you gotta do this? <laughs> like, I, I'm tired of your like weird glimpses. Um, and uh, but then they kind of he kind of stops hitting this woman, which good. That was very alarming. Uh, Carlson just starts like making out with her, which seems like it actually troubles Kane even more than the slapping. <laughs> so Kane's just going through it over here. Um, <clears throat> but after whatever random psychic nonsense was just happening, the girl passes out. Carlson tucks her into bed and then tells uh, Kane that the space girl has jumped bodies and is in the body of someone else. And he was able to get a physical description. So good news. They'll be able to find who it is. They get back to Dr. Armstrong and uh, Carlson gives the description to him. And he's like, oh, yes, that is Jeffrey Sykes, the child murderer. Of course, it's got to be the child murderer. Why wouldn't it be? It's always the child murderer. It's always the child murderer. Uh, but he's in, what was it? Patrick Stewart's line reading here is so funny. He's like, he's in solitary confinement. He's been naughty. Yeah. Like, what, naughtier than murdering kids? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, so Armstrong is trying to get them to wait until morning, but Carlson insists they do it tonight. Like, yeah, like Armstrong, my dude, they literally flew in a helicopter. <laughs> like, they need to do this. And this is like one of the most awkward moments, but also it kind of makes sense for the plot because uh, even though the blocking is that you have like Carlson, Kane, Home Secretary Percy, and then Armstrong. You know, Armstrong is reaches to uh, Carlson and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, yeah, anything for you, Colonel, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like so awkward. And I remember seeing it happen and I was like, this is weird, but there's a reason for it. Well, let's get to the reason for it. So um, <laughs> they once once they get to the to the wherever the room is, like outside of the room of Jeffrey Sykes, child murderer. Uh, Carlson's like, OK, I need to talk to you uh, for a real, real quick second to talk to you about something. And they get out of the room. Uh, Armstrong and the home secretary don't think much of it. They're just chilling. Uh, Carlson says he wants to hypnotize Sykes. Uh, this is when my man Lamson rolls in with his hypnotic drugs. First, he's going to go give Sykes some drugs. Um, once they're in the cell, uh, Kane asks to see the needle. And Lamson, a man who follows orders, just hands it to him. Immediately, Carlson grabs Armstrong and they suddenly inject Armstrong. What? How could this have happened? He gives like an inhuman scream, which prompts uh, child murderer Jeffrey Sykes to wake up and also start screaming. Lamson is alarmed, but not willing to do anything about this. That's my man Lamson. He's just going to roll with the punches and just see what happens. But everyone tells him to relax. So he does. Uh, <laughs> they ask if they can have a private place where they can talk to Armstrong and Lamson being the man he is always willing to accommodate, takes them to a surgery suite. Uh, once they're there, though, they're like, all right, Lampson, you stay out. We're going to be in here. <laughs> and Lampson obliges. I don't know why I love Lampson's character so much. It's the way that he just like, <laughs> like his face, like, well, we have two colonels and a home secretary. What am I going to do? Say no. Yeah, Even though like they want to like inject my boss with drugs. The the point is Lamson just doesn't care much for his job. So he's just like, do what you gotta do, man. So yeah, after that, uh Carlson explains to the home secretary that he was able to see into Armstrong's mind when he touched his shoulder, which is kind of like one of the more funny moments because Home Secretary Percy's just like, What? <laughs> like 
<laughs> like this is the first he's hearing of telekinesis and or not tele telepa telepathic stuff. And he's just like being asked to roll with this. But by then Kane's already on board, so he's just fine with it. I just love how Percy's like, what? Yeah, he's and like then, so in the dark. He's like, <laughs> Wait, we're not second. chasing naked women anymore. Yeah. So that was like the whole reason that uh that uh Carlson had called Kane into the other room was to explain that he knew that he had jumped bodies into um into uh dr armstrong and he could feel it when dr armstrong put his hand on his shoulder which is why he had to do that in such an awkward and uh you know obvious way <laughs> like it had to make it known yeah so after that um uh you know uh carlson says that yeah yeah carlson says that he can feel that she's trapped right now uh, but when the home secretary asks if he's sure, he's like, uh, no, I'm not. And goes and asks Lamson to bring some more of that hypno hypnosis drug. Lamson's alarmed. They want to get three more, but Kane convinces him by saying that he'll, he and the home secretary will take responsibility for it. He's like, oh, chain of command. Lamson's going to do it. Lamson's got to do. He's like, finally. <laughs> yeah. Finally inject that dude. Uh, they're questioning Armstrong. Uh, and he's like insisting that it won't let me talk to you. He starts screaming like crazy. Uh, but then Carlson uh, says that he has to convince her to talk to him. Like, like Armstrong has to convince her to talk to him. Luckily, saved by the bell, knock at the door. Lampson's there with more of that hypnotic drug, baby. Uh, no questions asked. Lampson's just here. Uh, suddenly, uh, Space Girl voice is coming out of Armstrong and says there's no need for that. You know, the drug. But uh the drug is i guess blocking carlson's ability to see into space girl's mind mm. but she can still talk to him through armstrong's body and she says that she loves carlson it's like lady stop gaslighting my boy but um anyway space girl explains the thing that we talked about earlier they use the minds of the crew to change into their humanoid bodies and get access to the english language yada 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 uh carlson loses his cool here and just starts slapping armstrong around Asking, you know, to be let go because he doesn't like being in the thrall of uh, the space girl. But then instead, Carlson goes in for a kiss with Armstrong. Uh, <laughs> and then with what? What's that? Remember, I said, I bet you five dollars. They kiss, you know, yes, you called it like you called that Patrick Stewart and uh, what's this dude's name? What's the dude who plays? It's uh, rails back. Yeah. Yeah. Steven rails back. Like, you're like, oh, they're going to kiss. I'm like, I don't know. This is the 80s, man. Things were a little more repressed back then. Nope. You were right. It happened. Well, like, gets to the hospital and, like, they do the thing where it jumps to another body. I'm like, okay, Patrick Stewart's going to be the bad guy. And then they did it. And then I'm like, and then it was weird because it was like, how I was leading up to him. Like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, they're going to kiss. And you're like, no, they're not. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure they are, dude. And well, boom. it was also like a very weird kiss too, because it was like eyes open on both ends kind of yeah. kiss. I'm like, oh man, like now that you seem to be having a good time here. Um, and also there's been there had been like um a rumor that this was like this was Patrick Stewart's first on-screen kiss, which is not true, but there is also rumor that the rumor itself was started by Patrick Stewart, which I think is a funny <laughs> idea. If he only started the rumor, this is his first on-screen kiss. But um, it's just such a funny idea. That seems like something you do. Um, that's amazing. I hope that's so true. I hope so too. Yeah, it's like one of those things. Like I'm not going to try too hard to validate it. I'm just going to hope for the best. 
yeah. So, but you know, during the the kiss, uh, sudden energy storm. You know, blue energy, animated energy flying around. Uh, objects in the room are going all over the place. It's kind of crazy. Uh, Kane and the Home Secretary are tossed about. Uh, Lampson opens the door to see what all the ruckus is. And is understandably surprised to suddenly see supernatural stuff. Because remember, up until this point, Lampson's just doing what he's told. He doesn't know anything. About- <laughs> he doesn't even know that his like like his boss has been inhabited by a space vampire. He's just is doing what the home secretary and a scary guy for the SAS are telling him. So do. from like his perspective, <laughs> the only thing that's been going on in that room is they got a bunch of drugs in there. They all took them and they're just kissing each other now and there's lightning happening. Like the, that's his only perception of what's been going on at this. It's like Lamson needs a, needs a holiday, man. He's been through it tonight. Oh, and, there, and there's a member of parliament there. Yeah, with the home secretary. Yeah, he's there. So, yeah. Anyways, that was when... Um, yeah, so Lamson threw the door open. Then what happens? Uh, man, where did I lose myself here? Oh, uh, Kane's on his feet and he does a pretty badass double neck injection of two syringes of hypnotic drug, just like straight into Armstrong's neck. So calms down the vampire energy death storm. Uh, Carlson though, having been connected to space girl through, you know, uh, Armstrong realizes the vampire virus is spreading and it was not stopped. Um, but unfortunately Sir Percy is dead. Uh, and it's kind of a, funny scene because like you know i don't want to see sir percy die like he's the home secretary baby he's doing his best but it's such a funny scene because uh kane is over there giving him (laughs) giving him cpr and lampson's like uh i think his neck is broken yeah (laughs) (laughs) fucking lampson coming in hot lampson's like this man's this man's dead as shit dude (laughs) like what are you doing he's his character's like i'm in so much trouble Lamson's like, yeah, it's like, uh, do I still have a job? I mean, like, poor Lamson. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, but back to then Kane, you know, realizing he can't save uh, Home Secretary Percy. He's just like, wait, how can this vampire uh, plague still be spreading? Carlson says, well, maybe they didn't. Fi- we didn't find all of the victims. Uh, so they get back in their helicopter and ride, uh, ride on out of there with the uh, unconscious body of Armstrong and as Lampson informed us, the dead body of Home Secretary Percy. When they're on the approach, uh, Falada calls up Kane and Carlson, and they have a lot of un- difficulty understanding each other, but uh, uh, Falada is explaining to them that the male vampires did not die. They transformed into the bodies of the soldiers they killed, which I guess is one of the differences between the male and female space vampires is the female vampire can like force her presence into others, but the male ones can just turn their bodies into other people is, am I, would you, is that how you describe that? Well, so that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. So like, I'd have to imagine that if they're able to change form once they could do it again. Right. I mean, yeah, the, the male ones definitely, but the female one, it seems like her, humanoid form is her humanoid form like she doesn't right. seem to change but i don't know see all right i don't know i was just, I like I, you just it, can't it think about it too much because if you do it just doesn't make sense well i had wondered if the reason that she like when we learn later about why it is that 
um, the male vampires and the female vampires are doing different things during the energy harvest. The I was like, why did she bother sending her consciousness away? Like, why'd she send it there? And just, but I think the point was to lure Carlson away since he's the one with the connection to her. If she, if he had found her body before they start the next phase of their plan, then he could have disrupted it. So it's basically just the movie up until this point was basically a wild goose chase to keep Carlson away. Right. That, that's what I think was going on anyway. Because of what we find out later is like it was just a trick. It was a ruse. A ruse. Um, but yeah, so uh, Falada uh, tells them that he killed one of the male vampires with a leaded iron blade through the energy center. The energy center being, you know, almost the heart, but, you know, below it. So not quite the heart. One's true yeah. heart, their stomach. <laughs> well, it was just funny because he had to like, it's close enough to the heart that old legends might have said heart, but it's actually below the heart. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of where they, they, they all are now on board with the theory that vampires of legend are actually from these vampires. Mm-hmm. And Carlson confirms this when he says that they have visited Earth before. He has gotten that from the mind of Space Girl. Um, they're ordered to what uh, land the helicopter at Whitehall by the military command to go meet with the prime minister. So when they're on their way to there, suddenly blood is flowing out of Armstrong's face. What is going on? Well, he- here's what's going on. It's forming a bloody chunk in the air. But then that bloody chunk turns into like a bloody version of the space girl. Mm. And it's kind of a funny scene because like, you know, uh, Kane is yelling. Carlson's yelling. The pilot is freaking out and like the helicopter is starting to rock. Even though the pilot's in no danger, it's just a bloody version of space girl in the back of the helicopter. Why is he even concerned about it? But it doesn't matter. Cause she like what screams and then glops out. Yeah. Is that how you describe that? She's turns into a glop pile. Yeah. I would say glop Glopping's good. Glop. Yeah. Out. She glops out right then. Yeah. yeah it's total gloppage. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, uh, you know, Carlson uh, does finally come clean that he's the one who destroyed the radio equipment and he's the one who erased the tapes on the Churchill, which we all knew because he was sus. Like, we all know he was one doing it because he was under the thrall of the space girl. He says he, says he doesn't know if he was doing it because he's under a thrall, if he's doing it because he wanted to. He couldn't tell. He said that he opened up her case because he was taken in by uh, <laughs> a love like nothing you've ever known, Kane. It's like, you don't know about Kane. Kane could have found some real love in his life. Don't He's give a true Kane voyeur. That. He is a voyeur. Yeah. So uh, flashback to the ship. Carlson, uh, you know, getting up and going to the space girl's case. And apparently at this point, like there was an exchange of energy. Uh, she was taking his, but he, uh, she was also giving him hers to ensure that he didn't die, that he stayed alive for the entire trip. And he explains that the other this other space vampires were all living off each other, and the only three that were left not desiccated were the last ones that hadn't like basically absorbed one another at, in that time. So, jot that down. Important theory it has come true. Yeah. So there's a voiceover of Carlson being like, "Why'd you choose me? Why'd you choose me?" Uh, over the very awkward makeout scene where he's making out with Space Girl on the ship. It's like none of their makeout scenes seem really solid, but his wit are especially awkward. And it's like really weird that they decided to do this voiceover over it. It's like, I love Toby Hooper, but man, this choice was so weird. So like for everyone 
that's probably not going to watch this or hasn't seen this. Steve Railsback looks like every dude that your dad probably worked with at a factory. Like he is the most like typical like I don't you know what I, you know what I'm talking about like the just he looks just like such a like if you had to like draw a person from like Illinois or some random part of Indiana it would be this guy. Yeah, he's like really broad features. He has really yeah. like uh heavy eyebrows that are like seem like they're slightly darker than the hair on his head kind of thing. Like he's a very like serious kind of gruff looking face. So then pair that with like a 18-year-old French like model basically who's like very delicate and it's just like it just it's it, so awkward. It's so awkward. And but it's especially awkward in t- in times like this. Because like they they have his voiceover like why'd you choose me why'd you choose me meanwhile he's like him making out with her but his eyes are open he's like looking up at something it's like Ugh. like what was the direction what were the notes that he was getting during this part this part of his performance but we have to thank Toby Hooper because he could have made this falada doing all the weird stuff so it could have been worse wait what's wrong with falada my man. You don't think those scenes would have been weirder if it was that old freaking creepy doctor guy doing all the kissing? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, pretty much all of these guys seem like they're way too old to be paired with this actress. It's kind of none of them would have been great, but yeah, no, I guess. Followed well, Lamson. Been... So don't don't hit on Lamson. I think. He oh could, no, Lamson could have. He could have pulled. Yeah. He could have pulled. It yeah, off. no, yeah. Lamson for sure. For like, sure. Obviously. Lamson all day. <laughs> Lamson all day. I'm just gonna start a like facebook group <laughs> lamps and all day is he i think he's unfortunately passed too it'd be a bummer otherwise it'd be really cool if we can like call him up like you're a friend now uh i made myself sad anyways yeah we'll get a time machine and go back to 2006 what a terrible what a terribly irresponsible use of a time machine it'd be just like no 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 we have to go back and hang with lampson yeah this is what we have to do with this let's go see what john hallman's um, up to <laughs> uh where was i at uh so yeah some uh we did the flashback um oh yeah the awkward makeout scene oh yeah, yeah 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 suddenly uh the pilot turns on the radio and explains that there's a uh plague that is going on in the streets of london uh and there's martial law and we get some scenes of uh you know, explosions and people running all over the place around buildings and the vampire people apparently just like zombies now, basically like the only thing that differentiated it from being like a, you know, zombie movie knockoff is that there's these like crazy bursts of blue light that are happening whenever a person presumably dies. But other than that, it's basically just low budget zombie action going on. Um, well, actually, those scenes are probably really expensive. There's a lot of pyrotechnics going on. Yeah, so for like plot point parts of this, right? So this is probably one of the only things that I think made the most sense because, you know, if you, if it's every two hours they have to feed, well, if everyone's a vampire, then everyone's dead in two hours. So I think it was kind of interesting how they made it like, they're harvesting the energy and like collecting it for later kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was basically the thing that, um, I didn't mention it, but, um, it was, uh, Kane had mentioned that the spread at that point would be like exponential for all the hours they wasted, like 
going to the asylum and all that. Like, and this is the confirmation that is what happened. Like things right. kind of went absolutely wild in London. I just think it's weird that like they go from being like the desiccated hor- like corpse versions of themselves to now like zombified, bloody zombified versions of themselves. It kind of right. doesn't really track, but it could be just that like the further away you get from the initial space vampires, the more like weird it all gets, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So the helicopter, you know, lands on the roof of a building. Kane and Carlson go into the war room. Um, apparently about to meet the prime minister. Uh, the prime minister comes out and wait a second. Why is he all sweaty? What's the deal with that? Why is he such a sweaty dude? Um, and he calls uh, the secretary, Miss Haversham into his office. Like, I have to show you something. It's going to be really cool. Come look at it. Guess what it is, Shane? Uh, Space vampirism. Like a good added joke. I didn't want to say it. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Kane, Carlson and Kane peek into the door that the Prime Minister left a little bit open, and they see that he went behind like some kind of view screen and is like totally absorbing her energy. Like, blue lights, the whole deal. So, oh no, the vampire plague is spread to leadership. Yeah, they go back on the roof, get in the helicopter, like, let's get out of here. But suddenly, two, like, zombified soldiers. That's what I mean, like, there's people like the Prime Minister who are just, like, sweaty but are like absorbing people. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the full on zombified ones. And it's never clear why that happens, but doesn't matter. Cause it makes for some crazy scenes. Cause they're hungry. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. That That's how, it, that's how I get when I'm hungry. I'm just I, bleeding I, all honestly, over the place. And- I think it's because that male vampire is absorbing all of the energy that they could be have that they do like that. They're supposed to have. Yeah. But then uh, but then they would just explode after two hours, though. Like, I don't understand why they become this. I mean, there's a shit ton of explosions going on. That's also true. That's also true, as we'll find. Um, yeah, but anyways, these two uh, zombified soldiers uh, jump onto the bottom of the helicopter, like those little rails at the bottom. Um, one of them falls almost instantly because he's trying to hold on to his one hand by his other hand, and all his skin rips off. It's like, what an unexpectedly gruesome hand effect to have happen randomly. Uh, so he falls. Uh, but then Kane's like asking the, the uh, pilot, is like, you have any weapons? It's like, just this flare gun, sir. Have this flare gun. And then he takes it and then he just fires the flare into the, you know, the vampire zombie thing when it gets up there and just like throws it off the you know helicopter. So happily ever after. No, this isn't the end yet. Carlson and Kane want to be flown to the uh, Space Research Command to see Falada because they know he's there. Uh, but the pilot says that they're being summoned to Blackheath and the city's under air quarantine. So if they don't go, they'll be shot down. And then once they land, this is like one of those like sequences that like uh, the earlier sequence where it's like, oh, we need to hypnotize Carlson. It's like, but he's exhausted. Fine, I'll do it in the morning. And they cut to morning. That's one of these scenes like where they get, they're put into quarantine. And, uh, you know, you know, Kane explains to them who they are or whatever. And then when they're there talking in quarantine to these guys, they're like, we know what's going on. You have to listen to us. Like, oh, okay. And they just let him out of quarantine. Yeah. It's kind of like the, uh, in, um, return of the Jedi, like with the Ewoks, that's what reminded the scene reminded me of that. I don't know why, but like, (laughs) I don't know. You're all like around a campfire. Like, Hey guys, guess what? (laughs) This is what's going to happen. Yeah, it was just like one of those, it seems so unnecessary to put them into the quarantine to begin with. But in any case, moving on, um, they learned that NATO is going to nuke London. 
and the vampire ship is in uh, you know geosynchronous orbit over London. So Carlson and Kane then actually look at London. I guess at that point they hadn't, and they see that there's a beam of light coming from like the center of London up to the ship. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. And there's a lot of blue lights flying up towards it, which are apparently human souls. But it's kind of a weird way to phrase it because it seems like it's just human life force. But um, I guess it depends on what you consider life force at the end of the day. What is a soul? Well, I was asked my man Shang Tsung. <laughs> um, Solid. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where the, the ship's claw umbrella is, I guess, the thing that collects the energy. We get another scene of London Chaos, which just shows the light blast. And there's also a giant light blast that's flying around, like, collecting those light blasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when Carlson explains that the male vampires collect the energy, but the female is the one who sends it up to the collector at the ship. So she's the conduit, and they're the ones who, like, gather it up. Uh, Carlson says he can sense where the space girl is, and apparently if he goes there, the male vampire will also come after him. And, uh, you know, that's when Carlson says, uh, I have to go to her or whatever. And Kane is just like, why? And it's like the funniest delivery because <laughs> he just like has this look of like utter disbelief on his face for the rest of what Carlson has to say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just such a good delivery. It's not bad. It's just like interesting. But that's when, like, uh, Carlson explains that there's some energy that, of the space girl. It's a part of him, and she wants it back. Uh, you know, and then that's when the military officer who's there with them, uh, which is what he's a colonel too, right? Everyone's a damn colonel. <laughs> he was thing. a colonel, yeah. Yeah. So the colonel, he's like, the nuke's happening in an hour and a half. Uh, Kane seems to think that Carlson can stop the vampires from making the nuke necessary. Nothing we know that Carlson has said seems to indicate that. Um, but it doesn't matter. We hear some gunshots, uh, Kane and the Colonel come out and it turns out that, uh, Carlson had asked the guy where the space research research command was and just took a truck and just drove off. So he's gone. He's going into London. Um, then, uh, Kane asked the, asked to take the Colonel's car and the guy's like, you know, no, that's Colonel's car. And the Colonel's like, give him the keys. (laughs) I don't know why the Colonel's just on board with this, but I guess they're both Colonels. So they're like bros. Uh, Kane's going into the city. Uh, it's kind of a funny interaction with one of the guards at the gate where he's like, you don't want to go in there, sir. He's like, I know I don't. And then he just drives on. It's like, <laughs> give him, always leave him wanting more. Kane. It's like, fuck, so, fuck that guy's cool. <laughs> that's what that, that's the last <laughs> thing that guy's going to think about him. Yeah. It's like, man, I wish I was as cool as that Colonel. Fuck. Name my kid um, Kane. So, you know, after Kane left that one soldier wanting more, uh, he's driving <laughs> through the scenes of destruction in London as people are fleeing from vampires, which is crazy because it's supposed to be martial law, but people seem to still be on the streets and there seem to be zero soldiers there. That's not what martial law is. That's a blockade. But either way, they're running around. Um, you know, he has to plow through some people, like avoid others. Uh, meanwhile, Carlson is in a very large vehicle, not the smaller car that uh, Kane is he's driving towards space girl. Uh, we see some more scenes of gratuitous destruction and uh sort of okay looking vampire makeup, like the vampire zombie makeup. It's not terrible. It's not great. We just get like a point where the space girls is giving like saying Carlson's name over and over and over again. So yeah, we get a ton of Carlson's from space girl, <laughs> which makes him stop the car, which doesn't seem like the thing that she wants him to do. She wants him to go to her. <laughs> And then a vampire arm jump scare is like a vampire just reaches in the truck to grab him. Uh, he just like drives again, which 
cuts off the arm of that person and it's still moving, which is kind of funny. He just like throws it in the passenger side of the vehicle. Um, so yeah, Carlson gets to the church where the space girl is. Uh, despite there's some piles of vampire bodies which claw at him, they're weak apparently from these losing all their energy. So he just goes inside. Meanwhile, Kane gets a space research command. Now you might find yourself asking, wait, why would Kane go there? Well, you're about to find out why. Um, he finds Falada, uh, who explains that uh, the male vampire that he killed with the leaded iron blade is dead. Dead, dead, for real dead. Uh, and it's the only way that they can be killed. Uh, Bukowski is dead. If you remember Bukowski from earlier, dead. Mm-hmm. Off-screen death. We don't give this man a single moment. He's gone. Uh, Falada explains that Carlson's probably, uh, pro- Carlson probably misled Kane, told him he was coming to the space research uh, command, but actually went somewhere else. Duh, we already know that because he went to the girl. Uh, Falada uh, determines that mental telepathy from the vampires uh, is what life after death is. And uh, now because of the telepathy thing, he can sense that Carlson is going after Space Girl. Uh, Just a lot of Carlson or a lot of Falada talking about stuff. He explains that Space Girl is in the cathedral and has been there the entire time. Her Her consciousness was set away. Her body was there, which is why I said I think that she was leading Carlson away so that he couldn't try to stop her while they did let the plague spread and could gather their energy, which I said that earlier, right? Mm-hmm. That I thought that was the plan. Yeah. yeah. So uh, now Falada is approaching. Uh, he's, he's got his arms outstretched. You notice now he's all sweaty and stuff like that. So he's obviously infected. Uh, you know, Kane tells him not to come any closer, but he keeps approaching anyway. So Kane shoots him. Uh, he is not unhappy with this. Um, he says, here I go as his head starts to pulse kind of grossly. Uh, and he explodes into blue energy and flies out the window. So he finally found his life after death. It's as a, I guess, food source for (laughs) space vampires. Um, it's kind of funny though, that even though he was infected, he still explained to like, you know, explained to Kane how to kill the vampires and stuff like that. Yeah. That, so that's kind of what I didn't understand. But I think we can get into it um, at another point. I, but. Oh, I just thought that it was more about like how, you know, Falada being like death obsessed and stuff like that. He wanted to see for himself what the next like level is, like what the next thing he becomes is. But he didn't want them to win. So he still gave like Kane the way to like help defeat them. But he still wanted to see it for himself. Like. Because yeah, of science. But like, how did he get infected? Well, and then yeah. like, does infection mean you are a vamp? Like, there's a lot of weird stuff. Cause like, I mean, I guess we'll get into this. Like, Carlson, right? So definitely he's a vampire. Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It seems likely. So it's just like, I don't know. It's just strange. They don't really like get into how or why this is happening yeah the way the plague works they never get into that at all like how it's spread like it seems right. like people who had no contact with anyone at, with it have it but that's hollywood baby hey. um <laughs> uh kane grabs the uh leaded iron blade from the corpse of the dead vampire uh it turns into a desiccated corpse for good this time because it is dead dead 
But when he goes out to go into his car, suddenly it explodes. And then behind him are tons of vampire zombies in the lobby. Not the colonel's <laughs> car. Yeah, they blew up the colonel's car, but they did it in such a way that they could dramatically stand up from like behind the desk in the lobby and chase him away. Um, you know, that's a bunch of... The, we're getting to the end of the movie, so as we move towards the climax, we start cross-cutting between these two things. Bath Cathedral, Space Girl, uh, sits up uh, as Carlson approaches, saying she knew Carlson would approach. Um, and this is actually the same, like I said, the mausoleum or crypt type thing from earlier when he had that vision of her. This is the same place, mm. which suggests he could have probably found her earlier if he'd really put his mind to it. Bunch of nonsense, Space Girl saying that... Uh, Carlson was always meant to find them in space and bring them to earth. Uh, something about it being his blood and his destiny to be the Genesis of her life form. Never do we understand what that means. Yeah. Never do we understand what that means. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know if he's like descended from earlier vampires. And that's why he's able to live like the way he does or why he's, they were like drawing him in. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like, is that why he's obsessed with Haley's comet knowing they're in there? I don't know. The movie certainly doesn't want to tell us. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, Kane is running on foot throughout London uh, with a gun in one hand and a sword in the other, like a certified badass. He's uh, there's just like cars like flying by him as they're on fire and they explode around him. I was like, man, he's such an action hero right now. <laughs> like just dual wielding. Um, <clears throat> he is getting pursued by a large group of vampire zombies. And then when he goes around the corner, oh no, another one. And then he runs down another alley and he's saved by a sudden collapse of burning stuff from above. But wait, sudden zombie behind him. Oh, never mind. He just shoots it in the face and kills it. <laughs> like, I don't understand. That's the thing. The human zombies seem to just die. Like, he's turned around and shot that thing in the face and it died. I put in my notes, uh, how are there still so many normal people just out in the streets during this? Because, like, as Kane is running down the street, people are just getting attacked around him. Uh, he watches as a big ball of light flies by and is absorbing the life force from uh, all of the people around. Like, it's just, like, absorbing them. And it also blows up a bus somehow. Um, don't worry. We don't need to know why, because Kane is already on the run again. Uh, he's running around as people uh, and things burn around him. But he gets to the cathedral. Uh, the giant light ball that we saw earlier uh, flies over to the top of the stairs and manifests into the remaining male vampire. He's been the one absorbing all the energy. Not a surprise. Carlson told us that's how it worked. But now we saw uh, the male vampire has like his only line in the entire movie where he says what it'll be much less terrifying if you just come to me. And Kane's like, I'll do just that and grabs his sword <laughs> and stabs him. It's like, man, male, this male vampire did not know he had a weakness, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he glows a bunch of red energy and changes into a bat monster and then explodes. So uh, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, to, are there, is this just like a <laughs> a hoax? Like, or like, a, is this just like a mirage? Uh, I mean, uh, it definitely seems like they can transform. Like, I don't know if they physically transformed or if they psychically transformed. It's never quite clear. Uh, with the male vampires, it seems that they definitely seem to physically transform because they turn into the soldiers from earlier. Right. Look, I can't spend a lot of time being invested in something if the movie's not invested in telling me about it. Truth. 
Uh, so, oh, and also I put never mind. He's also a desiccated corpse now. So he turned into a bat monster, exploded, but he didn't explode, explode. He's just a desiccated corpse on the ground. Now in the cathedral, Kane is running towards the blue beam of light. It's like, uh, uh, coming from like the floor below. And he sees that Carlson is down there getting busy with space girl. Uh, they're just like making out and they're both naked again. Cause why the, uh, why the hell not? Um, so can you edit that out where I almost said that word? Said what? Shut up. So what was I saying? They're down there boning. Oh yeah. They're getting busy down there. Uh, space girl, uh, is, uh, that's that's what I mean. This is where Space Girl tells Carlson that he's one of them and always has been. Again, that doesn't really make sense, but I don't know. Why not? We're at the end of the movie. Let's just finish it up. Um, and as they're making out, presumably Space Girl is draining him. But uh, Kane, you know, he's up at the top of the hole yelling Carlson like a lot, a lot. Like he's yelling and yelling and yelling. Finally, Carlson looks up because he's always looking away when he's making out with Space Girl. Um, and he reaches his hand up and uh, uh, yells Kane. So Kane tosses him the uh, the leaded iron blade, which Carlson uh, takes and stabs through Space Girl and into himself. So stabs both of them. Uh, they get the red death lights that we saw earlier. and But rather than explode, uh, they just beam up to the vampire ship. Like the red energy that they are beams up to the vampire ship. So I assumed, oh, they're about to explode the vampire ship, right? Like about to Death Star, this whole thing. Um, no, it doesn't seem to bother the ship at all. It just starts driving away, seemingly just fine. Leaves Kane, you know, Kane walks out into the front of the cathedral again, standing among a ton of corpses looking at the sky. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's probably like, oh, the paperwork I'm going to have to do for this. Um, yeah, and then we get our last shot of the movie, which is just that the uh, ship is flying away towards the comet again. Uh, now it's glowing with the energy of all of the life force it absorbed. And um, are there even any other living vampires on that ship? I don't know. The movie didn't tell us that either. It's like 100 it also miles long. So Yeah, 150 miles long. And they also didn't tell us if they like stopped the nuke, the nuking of London. <laughs> Like we don't right. really know if that happened either. And I'm pretty because, sure the ship is a tree. Uh, I mean, it's definitely it like, like really, really long. It, yeah, kind of roots, root looking ends. Yeah, yeah maybe. it's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, the ending was kind of unsatisfying. But at least we get to listen to some more bangers from the London Symphony Orchestra. Finally. Yeah. So they give us some music while we watch the open the the ending credits crawl, and there we go. And that my friend is a little film. We like to call life force all one word. Oh yeah. I think uh, if we're, cause typically we try to do the McMurder of the movie. I don't really know. Cause this one doesn't really have like, I mean, it does, but it doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of torn between what I think is the funniest one and what I think is the best one. All right. Let's hear it. So I think the funniest one, in my opinion, is when uh, the doctor uh, that was in this, the surgery with the sweaty soldier uh, is back after two hours and he just runs towards the, the, gate, fe- the fence. The yeah. gate just explodes That's like zero favorite. sense of yeah, zero sense of self-preservation. But that isn't really the spirit of the McMurder of the movie. So I really think it might be 
uh, whenever like um, the desiccated corpse of the sweaty soldier like reawakens and lures the doctor in and just yeah. like absorbs him while everyone looks on in horror. Probably, yeah. That's probably the most yeah. horrific. Yeah, and you're yeah. basically swapping out like desiccated corpse puppets like from one from another. So I, I think I'd probably give it to that one. That's fair. Yeah, did you have another if you have another thought, that's fine too. I, I mean the the Indiana Jones kill was pretty cool. Where that Wait. where that zombie vampire just pops up and he just blasts it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, where he just t- like where Kane just turns around and just like because to us it's like it seems like it's a jump scare, but rather than like be scared, he just turns around and shoots him in the face. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like oh he's I forgot oh he's a uh, he's SAS he doesn't care he's ready to just kill this guy. <laughs> oh, that is a good one too. The only reason I picked the other one is because it was like a quote unquote monster doing the killing. Yeah, it makes more sense. But if you think about it, all humans are monsters at the end of the day. Yeah, really. <laughs> True. So yeah, I could I could see myself going either way. I could see myself going for the uh, you know the doctor getting absorbed by a desiccated corpse of sweaty sweaty soldier. I think you kind of have to go with that one. All right, yeah, let's go with that one. But we'll we'll uh, put an asterisk, and we know that that asterisk means uh, Colonel Kane just <laughs> getting what we thought was jump scared, but instead just blasted. Mm-hmm. He started blasting. Started blasting. All right. Well, now we got our McMurder of the movie done. What's next? What is next? Next up, as listeners know, is our judgment category. a good one that was a great one yeah so yeah listeners as you know our judgment categories are uh story story including story and writing uh acting effects music and sound design uh and then cult factor cult factor being that little x factor that makes these movies so special so let's start out with that story and writing um i'm gonna kick us off on this one all right i um Going into this, I was really thinking about uh, the sort of parallels that it has towards, you know, the Dracula story, because it definitely wants those parallels to exist, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have your, you know, ghost ship that returns, you know, the HMS Churchill in this place, in this case, but it's the the, uh, Demeter in Dracula. You know, you have your, um, you know, death-obsessed doctor, your Van Helsing type is, you know, followed up. You have, um, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's like been taken over and has visions and understands the vampires. You have the plague that affects London. You know, all of these things that are like straight from the the Dracula story. 
And it really, really wants to make that point. But I think that it was like way too obsessed with like modernity that it spent too much time as like a, like a clinical, like guy in the room, like guy behind the screen making calls. Like you didn't know who was important. Like is the crew important or the scientists important? You know, you don't know who really matters until probably like 40 minutes into the movie. And I think that's the weakness to the story in this case. Yeah, for Um, sure. Yeah. So even though I I appreciate the parallels and I appreciate the modernization of, you know, the Dracula story, or not even the modernization, just like the drawing the parallels, I think that there's too much like weirdness going on that is kind of nonsensical or not uh, germane to the larger plot. Mm hmm. So I probably couldn't go higher than B on it. Um, so that's probably where I'm at on it. So let me pitch you what I think this movie should have been. Go on. Or, or this series, right? Because obviously the ending, they, they, I think if this would have done well, they would have set up a second movie. Um, so I think that what they should have done, like if I had control over all of this, my first movie would have been about the spacecraft. The was it the Charleston? Is that what it was? Churchill. Churchill. Sorry, thank you. It would have been the Churchill, like the crew on the Churchill, like build more character. Um, you know, have have more like conversations between the crew members. Make you know, make them a little bit more likable, or um, you know, or even like, entities or at all. anyone. Like, yeah. Yeah make most of the movie about them finding that ship and then going in and getting those like bodies and then bringing them back on a Churchill and then go through what actually happened on Churchill to kill everyone. Right. Or how they all died. Maybe make it a little cooler than they just all got sucked. Like the, you know, the lady just ate them all to death, which is kind of dumb, but, um, or maybe like, you know, Carlson went crazy or was a vampire and went crazy and killed all of them. I don't know. Um, I think that ends movie one. And then movie two is right where the 30 days later thing picks up with the Charleston coming into orbit of earth. And I think, Churchill. yeah, sorry. I don't know. I keep saying Charleston, <laughs> Churchill, the Churchill coming into orbit of, um, earth. And I think that would be more effective because, um, it would it would make you like kind of like care about what's happening, right? Because um, I felt like that's what this this story lacked the most was like there was no point to it. I'm not saying there always has to be a point, but it, it like it was just kind of like you take everything at face value. And sometimes I like movies like that, but when when they kind of do it in this way, where there should be some more exposition, like what happened to them when they came to Earth so long ago. Like, why are there only three left? Like, all this stuff, right? They just kind of had all this awesome opportunity to dig into the lore of this, and they just didn't. Um, you know, I I can live with a B. I'd probably say C. I'd say writing C, story B. But I think... I think We've to- merged those categories. So I know, that's what I'm saying. So I'd say probably just a, a solid B. Um, it wasn't bad, you know. It's, it's it was good. I just I think they missed out a lot 
Um, yeah, and the reason that I that I go to B is because I had a hard time, you know, when we went from the ship trying to like, oh, who are these people? Do I need to know them? Oh no, never mind. Thirty days later, they're all gone. Yeah. Now we have like Bukowski. We have Falada. Oh no, never mind. Like then the we have another guy come in, Kane. Like what's that about? Oh yep. no, suddenly like one of the guys from the ship is back. It like took them so long to get the pieces into place that I didn't know who I was supposed to be concerned about. Once it gets its pieces into place and it stops becoming such like a I don't even know like how to describe it, like a procedural, like like a West Wing, but like with the like british space science or something yeah like it didn't feel like there was a lot well even that has character like so that's not really what i mean just something that like where the characters are secondary to the process and it took them so long to get to the characters and to get to what is actually happening that i don't know it just seemed like it it should have started at carlson coming back you know like yeah. maybe one scene of like the other action and then Carlson's back and, and all that. Yeah. I think how much more impactful would it have been though, if you would have been privy to what happened on the ship prior to him going into the escape pod and maybe not even knowing who made it off the ship. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, you know and I mean? that's like, the other thing is it seems like there's no done. good reason to hide what was going on in the ship until later. Like we all kind of knew. And even now I am not even a hundred percent sure. Like, was it her who's absorbing the crew or was he absorbing the crew and bringing the energy to her? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, like it's not even super clear. Right. Yeah. I but I, I still want to give it a B. Cause I think once the story yeah, yeah, hits, yeah. it starts to hit really well. Like once you get like basically a buddy cop movie between Carlson and Kane, just terrorizing the medical community of like some random town. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's some of those, those bits are really fun. And then it's like, Oh, now it's London's in chaos. And, but again, suddenly somehow they can just do what they want again. <laughs> it's just funny, the idea of that. Um, so that's why I want to give it a B is because the strength of like that little buddy cop movie that happens. No, I, like, I agree once the with story you. Gets going. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a good story. I just think they could have done a lot more with this. And that's probably why it didn't do well. Yeah. And also that they spent so much money on it and called it Life Force instead of the right. Space Vampires. Yeah. But anyways, so we're in agreement on B for sto- uh, story writing then. Yes. Then onward to acting. I can let you take point on acting if you'd like. I th- I think everyone did a pretty good job, honestly. So I'd probably go B or A. Um, I didn't really have many, like, you know, there wasn't points where I'm like, okay, this is a slog, or like, like no no one's like performance really did bad, or or didn't do well. Sorry, that was a bad sentence. Um. <laughs> so sorry, I'm a little tired. Uh, yeah, I'd probably honestly, I'd probably go A because like there was a lot of really cool like scenes, and I think that there was some gravitas that needed to be added to some of the delivery on lines. I think they did a good job. Carlson was probably, in my opinion, the biggest turd in the movie, but um, I, I think I think the other people made up for it enough, you know. And look, like. It's like, oh, well, the aliens like barely talk, or the, the space vampires barely talked. It's like, okay, well, I mean, it's, it works, right? I don't know. I, I liked it. I, I didn't, I didn't have any problems with the acting. And I thought, like, there were a couple times where I think the pacing was a little weird, but I don't know if that's the actor's fault. But, uh, yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I I would definitely agree with you that I think the weakest link, you know, is is Carlson. Um, I think that I I don't know that even if that's his, like I don't know. I'm inclined to blame that more on direction because it yeah. seems like he was getting a little melodramatic in some of these scenes, and I know that it was to establish that he's like haunted or that right. he is not like himself or whatever. But it does become kind of rote when he's just like yelling the same thing over and over again, or like, like freaking out and like punching the shit out of like Jean-Luc Picard because he's like got space girl in his brain. But, but man, I, I honestly could not get enough of just seeing Kane running around doing this stuff. Like he was so good. And, and Falada is like some random, like, doctor is like oh yes i am the world's foremost biochemist and also thanatologist and also hypnotist like like what does this man's business card say and and even like what you were saying about like the vampires like not talking or whatever it's like and i do wonder about that but like when they're on screen i think they're really uh good presences and I didn't mention this during the scene when I was describing the scene of like the space girl, just like basically walking naked through this entire place. I talked a lot about the guards reactions because it was kind of funny and goofy, but the way that she like moved physically was like off putting. Like it wasn't like, you know, salacious really. It was like more like unnerving. It's like a purpose. Yeah. 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 Like even though, you know, I could see people like, oh, it's just gratuitous nudity or whatever. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of it, a lot of nudity happening. But I really think that the the point I was trying to make was this otherworldliness. And I think it kind of works. And the idea that she was like early in her career and so comfortable to do that. And I guess they put a lot of the reason that she was like so like confident physically is because of her um, uh, training as a ballerina. Um is the reason she was able to move the way that she did mm-hmm. and be so confident the way she was. So like, honestly, yeah, I'd, I'd probably give a, a to acting like, you know, put an asterisk there that she did kind of float now that you mentioned that. Oh yeah. Her movements. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of weird. Yeah. That was, that was cool. Yeah. So even like did you put an asterisk, uh, by like, you know, Steven rails back, like, you know, and I think that, that was a choice. I just think it was a choice that didn't work, but you know, you got your man, right. Kane, you got your man, the home secretary, who's like way out of his element. <laughs> like it's so many, and you got, you know, you got our boy Lamson out here just looking for a day off work. So like, I, I have to give it an A. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so yeah, I agree with you. Well, the next step is effects. And you know, I was got to give you the first crack at effects. Man, these set pieces they did, especially the space stuff, was phenomenal. Like those space scenes, like the spaceship. Uh, even, even they really when, put a lot of money into. I that. know, yeah, and, and it tell. shows, and it was so good. Oh, and even I didn't really mention it there, but like the scenes of the crew, like um, when they were moving into the ship, they're using their little jetpacks. Yep. And you like see like as they like you know ex- expelled a little bit of like energy and kind of floated like towards where they're going, like a little bit of bursts of like. Uh, propulsion yeah mm-hmm. those space scenes were phenomenal yeah that's kind of why i wish they would have had more of that but i get why they don't because it's expensive um <laughs> yeah i i thought they did a good job i i think um you know again we, we kind of like hit on the uh 
that weird like after effect kind of hokey lightning stuff and they they it it was here but it wasn't like overbearing set piece alone i'd say a i think the i think the blue light lightning stuff kind of drags it down but i i could i could do it i could see an a like 100% because again there's the the offices they set up like you know all the character design you know i don't know i think they did a great job they did real helicopters. They actually were flying stuff around. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, usually, actually, I, I kind of harp on my problem with like those, uh, you know, animated After Effects stuff and like for the energy. But the scenes when it was in London and the ball of energy was flying and like there's just like sparks of energy coming off of like the places where it was absorbing it didn't actually bother me. I thought that was actually really well done. It's really just the scenes where like there's a, a one-on-one energy absorption going on. There's a little bit like, eh, that's a bit much. The, the the only real gripe I have for effects is probably the design of like the uh zombie vampire people in London at the end. Some of them were good. Like the one that, as we mentioned, when Kane just turns around and blasts that dude. Like that one looked good. But there's like one that they cut to him just like kind of like drag himself through some trash and he like looks cheap, you know? So it's like really like hit or miss on those ones. Like some of them are really effective and some are really fake looking. Um, but that's not enough for me to drag it away from an A because those space effects are really good. And like I said, the idea that those energy effects, especially at the end, and as someone who's, as you know, and as I've mentioned, hate those like animated like after effect things didn't bother me at all like i actually felt like it had like weight and presence and stuff like that because of what was the chaos that was going on around it so yeah i could actually i could settle for an a on effects that's fine by me all right Wait. yay uh next up is music and sound um yeah i gotta take this one yeah so with music i want to go you know as soon as i'm like Oh yeah, Henry Mancini. Like this is great. Like his score is amazing, and that's not wrong. The music is great. Uh, London Symphony Orchestra. You gotta show some love. But with the sound design, does it fit the I, movie? Does the score? Yeah. I mean, if we could have gotten some synth up in there, I think I would have been way happier. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely what tries to lend an amount of gravitas that doesn't need to and shouldn't be there like right. this should have been kind of a more sleazy kind of not sleazy really but like a more like um schlocky kind of um you know low like it was a high budget but the feel of it should have felt more uh you know i don't know it's kind of hard to, to define but like you know if you'd thrown in some like killer cloud from outer space music in here like I think it it would have fit, it fit a lot better. It just it didn't live up to the gravitas of its music. I guess would be what I would say. And also the way those corpses made that damn donkey braying noise made no sense to me. <laughs> it like pulled me out each time we'd see like a desiccated corpse going to murder somebody. It's like <laughs> it's like what the hell is that thing doing? Yeah, to me like the music is like that little kid that's like trying to convince everyone that they're an adult and they should be taken seriously. And like they spent way too much money on, on the music budget. 
it, and look in a vacuum this music's very good it's well composed it's well conducted it sounds great you know i think you look at like space opera i think they were just trying to go for you know even like uh 2001 space odyssey or so- something right they were trying to go for big and um like epic but i think they missed the i think they missed what really would have tied this together which would have been a banger soundtrack like something like you said some synths bumping you know what i mean something something that would have given it some like uh even you know uh i'm trying to think of the movie um even like chud you know i think of chud right and i do every day and the music in chud <laughs> or or not even music so much as like the sound effects like the the scene the scene like the the music that ties it together like a lot of times you're watching this stuff you don't even hear it because you're not thinking about it because it's it, it's almost like the music's not designed for you to hear and listen to his it music. It's just, it's designed to tie in all of the audio happening at the same time. So it kind of makes sense with what's going on sonically. And I, I think this movie, it's just such a juxtaposition of like this crazy, awesome classical music. And then like, Oh, we're futuristic. We're doing space exploration. We can get the Haley's comet in 30 days. And then in your brain, you're like, okay, but that would sound a lot more robotic or, um, you know, I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox. I, this is a C for me. I think they missed it. And that's not quality of music to me. I don't, it's not, it's not that they, like the music yeah, is yeah, bad. You, you don't, it just, yeah, you, it, just it just doesn't go the tone. With, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's not this, it's not the tone that they have. It's not the story they're trying to tell. It simply isn't. It's not a Star yeah. Wars. Like it's not. Like it's not a two thousand one. It's not like a perfect example is Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah. It's not the sort of sci fi they're going for. It's not the sort of and like in two thousand one, it's not the sort of you know, sci fi they're going for. Like they're going for something very you know uh, that's why I kinda wish Canon hadn't wanted to like push it as such like a high high budget like thing and just let it breathe as what it was, because if you had had an more tonally appropriate soundtrack i could have been over here advocating for an a but instead i was going to advocate for a b and when you said c i was just like yeah you're right like it is like and it's not about the music it's about the music that fits this film and this isn't it so yeah no you're right c it is yeah i so I, i think i put my you said you said what i i wanted to say and i couldn't i couldn't put it articulate it well they they went for Star Wars and they should have went for Blade Runner. Ooh, some of that em- evangelist. Yeah, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like something that would have tied in. Like a, there there's some cosmic. I, I there's so much. Again, they 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 just really missed the mark on this one, which sucks because it is it, it actually is a pretty cool movie. So yeah, C for me. Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. Like I was being a little bit kinder just because of the like again because of the composer because of the london symphony yeah. orchestra but like when you were like making that point that it doesn't fit this you're like no you're absolutely right like that's the thing i was fighting against was like understanding the tone and it just mm-hmm. didn't it just didn't but like dune dune did the same kind of shit right around the, it was 84 right dune mm-hmm. did the same kind of crap um a lot of movies that try to do these sci-fi epics um did the same thing right and like you know like i got a lot of um event horizon vibes from this movie at some points. And I, and I really wish they would have leaned into that a lot more. Um, but 
Say la vie. Ooh, that's a banger of a movie. Event Horizon. I love that movie. It's so good. I might have to add it to my 31 for 31. Was that 89? What year did that come out? No, it was 90s for sure. Was it? Yeah, it was uh, the same Paul Anderson that uh, would later go on to do Resident Evil. Um, Hold up. Let's just look it up. What 97. 97. Yeah, my brain was backwards. I mean, no, no, it has, it definitely has that feel though, like an older sci-fi yeah. feel, which is to its, to its benefit, I would say. Yep. Um, yeah. Our, our final judgment category, cult factor. Um, yeah, take it away. <laughs> uh, I, I really would like to give this one an A in this because this is a really hard category to not get an A in, mm-hmm. but I, uh, this is really hard for me because there's so many moments that I love talking about, and that's kind of part of what makes it a cult factor movie. But at the same time, it's hard to ask someone to sit for like an hour and 55 minutes to watch, which is what is basically space vampires, you know, like if it were shorter, I'd probably be more inclined to say a, but I don't know, like. I want to talk about Dr. Falada and his weird death. Obs- like how many times are they going to say, Oh, the biochemist who's also a thanatologist and a, <laughs> and a hypnotist. Like the man who's the man who's a business card has a thousand titles. But like the problem is Falada doesn't have nearly enough screen time, but you also have like the random adventures of, uh, of, you know, Kane and Carlson where they right. just go into a, an insane asylum uh, go visit a nurse and just start hitting her until she uses psych- psychic energy to tell him where the guy is gone. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just, um, it's so weird, but I think it might be too weird. So I might have to go be on it. Yeah. I feel like watch the first 30 minutes of this movie. Fast forward to when they get to Patrick Stewart, but then watch the last, 25 minutes 30 minutes of this movie and that's pretty much all you need yes i would definitely agree like honestly if we had if we had never even pretended that carlson was missing and just yeah moved on you know just moved on from like the weird like subset where bukowski or bukowski and and falada and all of that like i understand why it's there i just don't think it worked so yes i yeah B B for cult factor. You hate to see it, but it's a hard one to recommend. You you really have to like put an asterisk on certain parts of it. So I'm looking at Toby Hooper, right? Who is from Texas, right? He's from Austin, Texas. And I like, if you know his other movies, they don't, they're not paced like this. Like they don't feel like this. And I don't know if they tried to make this an English kind of like a, a more British movie. And I'm not just saying that because of all the English and British actors, but like it is like, cause a lot of British cinema is a lot slower. Um, there's less action. There's more emphasis put on um, dialogue scenes, like performance, uh, you know, people having their, um, you know, monologues and stuff like that. So, I I just am thinking now, I wonder if, if that's how they kind of wanted to do this or or they were forced into doing this to make it appeal to a a wider audience, maybe 
Um, cause I it, could definitely see that that's where he was going. Like yeah. he was kind of going against his own strengths and his own instincts in order to try to create something else. But the problem is he was both fighting against the, his own strengths and he was fighting against the strengths of the source material, which is space vampires. Right. Like it's not going to be high art. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't right. like just let it be what it is. And that's like the best parts of this movie is when it just is what it is. And it's just, it just sucks. He's trying to elevate it. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. Like we all love a 24 horror movies. Like we love elevated horror. It's great, but not everything has to be that like some things can just be what they are. Like some things can just be a movie about a sloth murdering people. It's fine. I can't, we don't need to, yeah, like the, that's what I mean. Like, like just let a thing be what it is. And I really feel like that was, that's what keeps this from getting to that cult factor area. It's like, I do recommend it. I think it's a, it's a fun movie, but you just have to give like those caveats of, but it isn't living up to its own potential of what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And it like, yeah, it's trying to be something that it isn't. And it's playing against the strengths of the director. It's playing against the strengths of the material. So, yeah, I think that was a, that was astute. You were right. All right. So, what's our what's our final grade on the on the? Uh, you mean what is project? our per, our last category in this entire show? Yeah, it's the da da d roll. stay in no don't do it i'll make it like uh i'll make it one of those uh donkey uh barks you've been talking about yeah the brace that the comes brace, from thank those, you yeah from those like corpses yeah but yeah as our fans know uh the d-roll is our very last category where we just we determine if something is a cult classic a b movie grindhouse or trash trash being something that we hopefully never have to cover um do you want me to get started on what I think for the D-roll? Yeah. Look, I want it to be called classic. I want it to be so badly. But I I really just think it's B-movie. I just don't think it's not doing... It's doing the, all the wrong work, in my opinion. Like, it, the, the strengths that it has are there. And I like I said, B-movie isn't bad. B-movie's good. Like, we love B-movie. We do love B-movies. But... Um, no, no, we love B movie. The movie about the animated movie with the bees. Does his wife like leave him in that movie? Isn't that like a super <laughs> fucked up movie? I don't know. I've never actually seen it. I just wanted to say that. Oh, so you're just a B movie poser. I see how it is. <laughs> yes, I am. Not afraid to admit it. Um, okay. Isn't Billy Crystal <laughs> the B? I got to look into this now. Hold on. No, isn't Jerry Seinfeld? That would be even wilder. It is Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of ants. <laughs> That's Woody Allen, dude. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I 
What's the other one? They're like blue. They're it's not oh a bug's life. A bug's life? (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Whatever. Oh my god, it's Kevin Spacey. Oh never mind, I'm good. It's David Foley. (laughs) No, Kevin's Kevin Spacey plays Hopper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just top build. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Hold on. In Which movie <laughs> was Billy Crystal <laughs> a bug? <laughs> okay, so he was off. I don't even know why I would know this. He was offered that part. Whatever. All right. Wait. <laughs> Wait, and what? I don't know. There's a bunch in of which things. Which one? It's, it's like it's like uh, Billy Crystal Pixar fandom. It's like he he was originally cast as Buzz Lightyear, but turned it down. And then I don't know where I does Buzz Lightyear. This is getting off track. What does that have to do with B movie or Because I thought I I don't know why I thought that he played one of the main characters in one of these movies. <laughs> I don't know why I thought Billy Crystal did that. Like and that'll forever be in my brain that Billy Crystal played some sort of bug in some sort of animated movie. <laughs> You're gonna have to cut like all of that. No way. <laughs> so anyway, for the D roll, I choose B movie. I'm not. <laughs> it's a. I'm done. Done. Call it. Yeah. What do you have to say? <laughs> I mean, B, I, <laughs> B movie. It is. No, I, I think I think you're right. Um, <laughs> it uh, you want it to be called classic? I I don't think it hits that. It, there, like there isn't anything in this movie that drastically stands out other than the girl walking around naked for 15 minutes. That's it, or seven minutes actually. Um, so I know it seems like so much more than seven minutes of screen yeah. time, but they say that's all it is. And I'm like, oh. So, like, if that's, like, the only determining factor for that being a cult classic, I I don't know. It doesn't seem like I don't think that's enough. No. No. Again, (laughs) spend some more time in space. I think think this would have been a banger. But. I would say more time in space or just more time. Even just, like, less time trying to make it so realistic and so elevated. Just more time just letting it live and breathe. Yeah. Yeah. So B movie it is. We've solved the T roll. We've made it a B movie. I'm sorry, Billy Crystal. <laughs> Billy Crystal. He was listening to our show until now. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I wish. Now he's gonna go make City Slickers four or whatever. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Man, I don't even. My brain has been cleared. What do we do now? Oh, we gotta talk about next next episode. Do you know right? what I'm actually thinking about? No. He plays he plays Mike Wazowski in Monsters Inc. Are you wait? You mixed up. I did. I totally. B movie isn't even a. I know. B movie is. I know. I'm just. And also, if we're talking about Ants, isn't even a Disney movie. It's. It's not. You've made some errors. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know if an apology would help me. <laughs> Did you know Billy Crystal was he played really? And have you ever seen Howl's Moving Castle? 
no, I don't think it's I a have. Miyazaki film. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm aware of it. I've, I've never seen it though. Yeah, Billy Crystal plays one of the characters. All right, let's get the fuck out of, out of Billy Crystal land. Um, <laughs> it's a, why quickly. not? This is Billy like, Crystal forever. Quickly. Yes. Uh, yeah. So what what are we doing next? What's uh I know we have something big coming up, so why don't you uh Oh yes, well we up? are about to approach October, and as we know, October is the spookiest of seasons. Uh in order to celebrate, we've decided to do another event. Uh it is what we're going to call the Samhain Season Devilish Duology. Uh it's gotta be a duology because we only have enough time for two movies during the month of October, because you know, how many weeks are in a month? Uh, so for the Samhain season, uh, devilish duology, uh, the plan is every year we'll pick two, uh, demon or devil focused movies, and, uh, we will make those the choices during the month. Um, Samhain is how you pronounce it, Shane. You're right. <laughs> we had a debate about that before we started recording. I mean, uh, I wouldn't even call it a debate. It was a, is, it was an awakening for me, a, a swift correction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, so, uh, but yeah, because it's an event and we like to let everyone get in, uh, on the movies for an event as swiftly as possible. Um, we are going to tell you both the movies. So the first one, the next will be the gate, the 1981 Canadian feature with a young Steven Dorf. The gate is the first. And it is streaming on, let me double check here real quick. Uh, one, obviously the first is going to be Tubi. And I just want to give a heads up that it says it's going to be leaving Tubi uh, at the end of the month. And this is September. So, you know, by October, I'm hoping it comes back. A lot of things return to Tubi uh, after they leave. But, um, you know, if it moves off of that or other platforms, I'll try to use our social media. Like I'll, I'll post on my uh, Twitter and on my Instagram and I'll let Shane know to put on the dark side drive-ins if it leaves Tubi or if it leaves any of the other services that we're talking about and like stays off of there. Um, but yeah, so the gate is available right now, uh, according to uh, the sources I have on Tubi, the Roku channel, Plex, uh, it's available on uh, Prime Video. So it should be regularly available. Again, if it leaves Tubi, which is obviously the easiest one, I'll let you know. And the second movie of the Samhain season devilish, uh, devilish duology is Demon Wind, the 1990 film with almost no one of note in it. It, <laughs> uh, it is available on Tubi, the Roku channel. It's on Shudder. Uh, and I believe it's also on AMC plus, but that makes sense. Cause shutter and AMC plus are basically similar services in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, uh, the gate and demon wind will be our next two movies over the next month. So ooh, devilish duology of the Samhain season. I'm pretty excited, uh, because the uh demon wind has like some very uh memeable scenes that i've i've actually seen and i can't wait to see it in context with like what's actually going on in the movie because it seems crazy so yeah i think you sent me a tiktok of one of those scenes yeah <laughs> it's awesome i can't wait to talk about it so i'm excited but uh but go ahead watch the gate now as soon as possible 
Um, so as you hear this, you you'll have like two or three days left. So, um, get on and, that. And we'll let you know via social media where it is after that. If it's yep. assuming it goes somewhere else. Um, if it doesn't, then that's terrifying, but hopefully I'm hoping that Tubi just brings it back. Cause they do that sometimes. Cause they, uh, actually right around the time when we, uh, did our killer clowns, uh, from outer space episode, it left Tubi and then came right back. So it's on Tubi again. So I'm hoping it's just like a licensed thing and then it'll come back. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye out and uh, I will, you know, make sure that I tell Shane and we'll get the word out on social media. So all the more reason to follow our uh, Twitters and uh, instant grams. It's the best reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we, um, I don't think we have anything else coming up or uh, any other events. Oh, we're still working on our merch store. Um, I have a cool t-shirt um, uh, design idea I want to do. I might do a couple stickers or something. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll post more about that. And um, I mean, if you're interested, let me know. Um, I think a lot of people listen to this know us personally. So just uh, reach out to us if you're interested in that stuff, and we'll we'll see what we can do. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all I had for today. Yeah. Got anything else? Uh, yeah, I have a question. Have, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, no, but I, I don't have anything else. I'm good. Oh, all right. Okay. Then uh, shall we sign off? I I don't even know what to do anymore with you. With me? Yeah. Fair enough. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I've been Shane. And I have been Stefan. Stay spooky. I wonder if that all came through. Spooky! <laughs> nah, maybe one more. Let's give it another one. Spooky! Bye! Bye.